What's going on guys? My name is Alden Nero and welcome to episode 84 of the Midnight Hour. This episode is myself and Dr. John discussing mass hysteria and moral panics and just sort of different cultural fears and how they seep into society and basically like the impact that that has on culture in general. It's kind of a um, tangential and meandering topic and we did not stick to it rigidly, but I think everything that we spoke about is in the broad spectrum of, uh, of the overall topic. So I think it's a really interesting episode and I think you guys will really enjoy it. It's gonna be the last episode that Dr. John is on for a while, but uh, he will be back probably next month for some more epic podcasts because uh, I think he's an absolutely awesome guest and it seems like a lot of you guys have taken to him really well and that's fantastic for me. Um, so yeah, I hope that you guys really like this episode. I know that it's one that I was very proud of after recording, so um, that's pretty good. Also, it would be really nice if you could give us some feedback and tell us what you thought of this kind of topic and the way that we sort of discussed like everything around the topic rather than like rigidly sticking to a, a structure. So um, just let me know what you think of this episode in comparison to other episodes, I guess, would be the main thing that I am trying to say in this ever overblown intro. If you guys want to discuss the episode or anything to do with the podcast, check out the subreddit. It's reddit.com slash or slash midnight hour. And if you want to buy a t-shirt or something like a mug or a phone case or a fire extinguisher, we don't have fire extinguishers. We will get fire extinguishers. We're working on that. I understand there's a heavy demand for them. Um, but yeah, you can buy mugs and stuff, travel mugs, phone cases, like laptop covers and flags, you know, tarps, big, massive wall paintings and stuff like that. So go do all that stuff because... Um, I need your money, guys, honestly. Uh, no, I don't actually make a whole lot of money from that, but I just want... I want to be walking down the street someday and see someone wearing a Midnight Hour t-shirt. I think that has to be the dream. That has to be what I'm striving for here with all of this. Um, anyway... I hope you guys enjoy the episode. If you do, please do be sure to leave a like or a repost or whatever. Whatever platform you're listening to this on, if you wouldn't mind, before you, you know, put your headphones on and drift off into cyberspace or whatever it is that you do, just hit the like button because um, it feeds my ego and my ego is the most important thing on the planet. The song that opened the episode was Kickstart My Heart by Motley Crue because one of the first things that we talk about in the episode is the satanic panic of the 1980s and Motley Crue came along in I think it was 1981. Their first album was called Shout at the Devil and while they were never one of the bands that properly embraced the sort of uh, satanic imagery um, a la the likes of Iron Maiden and ACDC and things like that. They did definitely play on that fear with their album covers and their music videos and stuff like that. I don't think they ever really sang directly about Satan, although Shout at the Devil obviously is kind of directly about Satan. But you know what I'm saying. They never like presented a directly evil message more of a kind of a hedonistic message but anyway motley crew are really cool with me actually um they're kind of i don't know if they're even a cool band to like anymore if you're somebody who is alive in the year 2017 but um i definitely think that kickstart my heart is awesome i think it's from well i know it's from the album dr feelgood i think i think that came in the year 1990 uh, which is actually quite late for a, a glam rock band as far as i understand but um it was their most 
well-reviewed and highest-selling album, and they credit that success with a sort of a a real (laughs) embracing of sobriety, because prior to that, they were into some really fucked-up shit, like lots of drugs and uh, some other, like, criminal activity and stuff like that. I think, actually, hedonistic lifestyles of rock stars would be a really good... um, podcast topic let me know what you guys think of that maybe that would be a good episode of noise pollution anyway i don't know why my intros are always so fucking long but this is the episode and i hope you guys enjoy it power in the verse can stop me. I'm joined once again by Dr. John. Thanks for coming back on the show for the second no time problem in at all. two weeks, although no one heard the last one that we recorded, <laughs> so that was great. Um, probably for the best, but what can you do? Yeah. <laughs> Not for the best at all. I'm so disappointed. No one's going to get to hear how racist I was, but um, yeah, this episode is uh, entirely John's idea. We're going to talk about WrestleMania and how great it was. Uh, Yeah, but today we're going to talk about mass hysteria and moral panics and things of that nature and how they impact culture and society and uh, how they sort of shift cultural leanings and how they shape eras of history and things of that nature. So um, we're kind of just discussing where we should actually start. And I think a good place to start is in the uh, the 1980s, because every good movie and... Nah, just kidding. Um, basically, the difference between a moral panic and mass hysteria, as defined by me just now, um, this isn't like set in stone or maybe not even accurate, but a moral panic is sort of when a full society is up in arms or like they feel threatened by something that's new and different i I think the closest example i could give you to it is the ebola panic of 2013 was that 2013 i should have really googled that beforehand shouldn't i um yeah it was around then yeah so it was basically this disease that has existed uh you know for a long long time people have known about it for a long long time worldwide deaths from this disease are, are very very low um it's not even that contagious as far as contagions go. Um, and basically, the entire Western world went fucking crazy because I think four countries in Africa um, had been plagued by Ebola. And I don't mean to be harsh or heinous when referring to... I mean, that is horrible that that happened. Um, but you had, like, at the time, our good friend Donald Trump was saying that Obama should have banned every flight from Africa to America. Which yeah. is just, like, that's the level of hysteria that you're dealing with. But that ultimately was a moral panic and not mass hysteria. Because mass hysteria is usually um, localized a little bit differently. It usually relates to uh, a smaller region than a sort of a, a global one. Um, would I be right in saying that mass hysteria, you could look at someone in, say, for instance, succumbing to mass hysteria and you could see them as hysterical. Whereas a moral panic might be something where they sort of start to change regulations and that sort of thing that are way overboard and over the top 
Yeah. Would that be a difference in it? Like, kind of, there's a much more visceral reaction in mass hysteria as opposed to moral panic. I'm going to make the greatest um, analogy I've ever made in my life right now. <laughs> but basically, mass hysteria is a guy sitting at a bar with a swastika tattooed to his face and wearing a, a Nazi t shirt. Whereas moral panic is a guy who, after four pints or five pints, starts to say, you know what, I just think that we should reduce immigration. And then over mm. time, it becomes a full-on rant about why the Jews are conspiring against the rest of us. Mm. Is, is that a good analogy, or is that a yeah. fire analogy? No, I, yeah, I, I think that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I guess, I, uh, yeah, do, do you want to add anything else to that? I, I was just going to add an anecdote where um, I was actually in a hospital around that time, and I was putting something away in some, like, fucking like closet of a room and then i saw this box this plastic box and then just taped on it was like ebola survival kit oh god <laughs> and it was just like one piece of equipment like one bodysuit one mask one like pair of gloves and all this stuff like but it was just so ridiculous they, they clearly had to have it as part of some regulation but like it served no purpose it was yeah. never prob they probably wouldn't even be able to find it where like a ton of Ebola victims to come to the hospital and that it was just really ridiculous it's it's like i think one american was diagnosed with Ebola in America. Yeah. It, it would be so good if the Ebola survival kit was a silver bullet. <laughs> Just ominously placed in the closet of the hospital. <laughs> and a little note that said good luck or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so uh, the my favorite moral panic uh, is one that sadly I was not alive for. I was dead at the time. <laughs> is that what you say about yourself when you weren't born? I was dead for like most of I was, the planet. I, I was non-living. I was unalive. Yeah, that's right. Non-living. I classed myself as a non-living person at the time, um, mm. but not a zombie, annoyingly enough. Um, mm. So this is the satanic panic oh wow i never even knew that that did that before wow. satanic panic man how is that not the name of a fucking rock and roll album from the 80s um or a band yeah it'd be so cool wouldn't it yeah well it'd probably get annoying eventually but yeah, yeah it's 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 definitely really good the first time you hear it and that's what yeah. i look for in a band name and then it just gets a bit manic oh <laughs> and you just can't stand it so you <laughs> You, there's too many flames and you have to fan it and anyway um, then you have to ban it yes absolutely and this podcast would be a lot better if we made an effort to plan it <laughs> okay so the oh. satanic panic let's not do that whole thing again of the 80s was uh, basically like the like the origins of this panic come from rumours about uh, like police forces coming into contact with people undertaking in satanic rituals and i guess it also comes around the time of like the exorcist and um the the discovery of ouija boards and not the discovery mm. of them like that they're a thing <laughs> like mm. they're an artifact. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. but yeah like the, the, I, I don't know there was some kind of cultural leaning zeitgeist yes i love that word but yeah me too every time i use it in a sentence i feel like a dick because it's like <laughs> I, I don't know i i've yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. But yeah, so Satanism made its way into the zeitgeist. Um, and as a response to that, mothers all over America decided that this was 
polluting our homes and killing our kids and like everyone was afraid of their kids being abducted by satanists and all of this stuff and basically like anytime there was like a murder or a like a, a disappearance or whatever the media would really quickly swallow it up and say it was satanism was involved like th there'd be a story of like some guy murdering his wife and the media would turn it into like he stabbed her 666 times in an act of satanism and stuff yeah yeah um, and so what I find uh, interesting about this fear and how it affected culture is that when bands and like, you know, the rebellious metal scene and stuff like that, um, they realized that this was a cultural fear and they tapped into it by plastering it all over their albums and their music videos and stuff. And uh, it made their album sell like so well because people were so afraid of it. Um, so yeah. every time they pressed where it hurt, they got more publicity and more attention and stuff like that. And uh, that's basically um, where the like where the impact on culture and society comes from. Um, Interesting. I, yeah, I think I, I don't know. Like, would it, would it have potentially spawned from the fact that Americans were so afraid of communism and they saw that as such a threat to them? Like, that eventually, after um, the Cold War had finished and the Cuban Missile Crisis and all of that, and as they moved into the 80s, um, it was basically like, there was nothing for... There was nothing in the zeitgeist that was opposing Christian yeah. America. So they had to... Judeo-Christian values, and, like, something had to fill the void. Exactly, yeah. <clears throat> like, I wouldn't be surprised to learn that that's kind of where it comes from. Um, mm. you, you, you do find that sort of right-leaning Christians are very afraid of anything that's new or different um, in terms of its ideology. Like, something that's not a fixed ideology and easy to define, I think, scares a lot of... Well, I, I think it scares a certain type of person. Totally. Like, do you remember, I think, the Pope denounced Harry Potter? No, I don't. I, yeah, oh, I think shit, Pope yeah, Benedict. I think that vaguely rings a bell, actually. Yeah, I, th I think he said that it was it had satanic undertones. The The Vatican was absolutely terrified of um, the Dan Brown, uh, what was that thing called? Da Vinci Code, yeah, Angels the, and Demons. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, I remember... Um, I remember I used to go see my cousin and his parents were religious and, and we'd have to go to Mass on Sunday. And <laughs> one time um, we went to Mass and there was these like flyers on the seats that said boycott the, the Da Vinci Code. And there was people who worked for the church at the cinema holding these flyers. Oh Don't go see this movie. It's like... It's so ridiculous. Like it's a work of fiction, and and the yeah. Dan, Dan Brown is not really that good of a writer, and he didn't do like approximately ninety five percent of the research for that book or anything like that. Yeah, but yeah. one thing that he was very clever about was never explicitly saying that it's fiction, and just yeah, constant like just fueling that element of um, fear, you know, in people, so that he would get more publicity and. By all accounts, the Da Vinci Code was a cultural phenomenon. Like it was, yeah. a, it was a huge deal. Everybody had an opinion on it, and half the people I hadn't even it. read the book. You liked it, really? I loved it. I thought it was garbage. Yeah, yeah, and I actually preferred Inferno, which is one of his more recent works. Inferno is amazing. I think it's even better than Da Vinci Code, and I hold Da Vinci Code in very high regard. I um I liked that each chapter was four and a half pages, so that you felt like a really good reader <laughs> when you were reading through it. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I wasn't. I'm just not into that 
sort of thing. Yeah, I guess. yeah. Uh, like that, that, that type of fiction just doesn't really appeal. That's to okay. Me. We need people who are wrong sometimes. No, <laughs> that's why I get you on the show, pal. <laughs> it would be so convincing if I wasn't talking to an actual doctor. Like I, I know the doctors aren't right about everything, but I think we're about to talk about something that pertains to psychology, and I probably have to get off my high horse and accept that there are some things that I don't understand. <laughs> However, um, I was listening to uh, my favorite sort of uh, commentator, I guess would be the word. Um, is he even a commentator? A writer on the internet. His name is David Wong. And um, he he sort of wrote an article about how the media is currently making people afraid of everything um, and constantly tapping into these fears that we have. And uh, like, I think he has a theory that that's why anxiety levels are decrease or sorry increasing um but what he said was really really interesting was he he referenced uh, milo yiannopoulos and showed how milo yiannopoulos used to be a guy who wrote articles about how video games are bad or at least he's done that one time um and as he got more popular and as society started to fear uh, extreme right-wing type mentalities and stuff. Um, and as that hysteria grew and grew and grew, Milo, along with it, got more and more outrageous. And what David Wong said was, it's exactly like the metal bands putting satanic stuff on the covers of their albums. It's like, it's not a thing that they actually believe, but they're sort of saying we're allowed to do this and we can't forget that we're allowed to do this like this. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's, um, I, I don't know. He framed it in a, a much more articulate way than that, but I thought it was a really good point because the more I think about it, the more accurate it seems like, you know, Milo Yiannopoulos says outrageous things about like certain groups and stuff, but yeah. we know that that's not his actual opinion because he's a gay guy and, like sometimes he says outrageously stupid things like lesbians aren't real and like everyone who's a lesbian is pretending to be a lesbian and he's a gay guy so we know that that's not his actual belief in the yeah. same way that I know that like Vince Neil and Nikki Six aren't Satanists so yeah um, yeah I uh, I think that that's a nice way of sort of relating it to the present and how um, when society starts to fear a thing. Uh, provocateurs come along and they just press that when it hurts yeah. and they bring that discussion into a, a mainstream sort of facility where it can be debated and, and stuff like that so and recently as well um satanism has kind of taken center stage in some political discussions fears like a la alex jones and kind of hillary clinton actually yeah um, i'd never even thought of that the um People like that, people like Alex Jones have this, like, desire to relate everything back to Satanism. Don't, like, have you mm. noticed that? It's, it's like, it's like he, it's like he has a, a belief that in the occult that's so strong that he wants it to be true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that at all. It's, it, and I, go I ahead. often think as well that, um, belief in Satanism, I, I think it has to parallel a belief in God. Mm. You know what I mean? If like if you're a Satanist, you want to renounce God, but God for you is real and something that you have to defy and contravene. And same as the people who are like Judeo-Christian or hold Judeo-Christian values, they believe that there is like a devil out there that they have to try and conquer and overcome. It's it's almost like parallel, like yin and yang. I'm actually not sure. Um, just 
because I've never heard uh, of a, I guess, an, what would you call like a famous Satanist who actually believes in God. Like, I, I guess it would be difficult for me to come up with a famous Satanist, but who's, the, there's like some, um, some, uh, guy who used to build rockets and he killed himself building a rocket one time and he was like one of the originators of the concept of black magic and stuff like that have you ever heard of that guy what the fuck is his name i'm not sure oh well he i i think he studied like uh satanism i i I feel like he may have had a hand in writing the satanic bible or something like that okay but um the satanic bible as far as i understand it is actually not really that relative to christianity as much as it's it's more relevant to um atheism as far as i understand okay in what way um well i think it's the idea that you should be able to do the things that you want and not be judged by a god that doesn't exist i thought that was the idea of the the satanist handbook I'm not 100% sure on that, though. Okay, okay, interesting. But I also know that, like, if I if I try and think who the most famous Satanist in the world is, I think of Marilyn Manson from the year 1999. Like, <laughs> he was definitely, like, an outspoken atheist. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 mm, I, I guess I always kind of thought, from the point of view of Satanists, that they were renouncing the sort of all-loving, all-good God, because that couldn't exist in the world as we know it so i guess that would work from an atheist point of view in that deep down they feel that there is no god because the observable world is incongruous with the judeo-christian anthropomorphism of god as they hold it to be so we might actually be talking about the same thing i wasn't saying so much as they believe that he exists as much as they renounce the hypothesis or the idea that people believe he exists oh, okay, that makes yeah. sense they, they believe in the concept of people being hardcore Christians and they exactly that and that's exactly yeah because I think they feel that it's incongruous to the world as they know it yeah then I agree I, I think that's completely true I, I and I think that that is the everything I've ever seen that uh, promotes Satanism it seems to do exactly that rather than actually promote the death of you know innocent people in in fire and yeah stuff. yeah exactly yeah um, Satanism is very interesting actually. I, I think we could do an entire episode about Satanism sometime. Yeah, yeah. But um, it does it does really interest me that every time Alex Jones is like he'll he'll be talking about um Hillary Clinton and, and making so many like profound criticisms about her, and then he'll just be like, and that's why she wants to drink the blood of innocents and stuff. Innocent babies, yeah. Yeah, drink the blood of innocent babies, like absorb their life force, and he gets real metaphysical. Yeah, but his his enthusiasm and his he's so energetic about it that it's really hard to think he's not taking it seriously. Like it doesn't seem like he's being metaphorical. I think after, after hearing him on Joe Rogan talk about, um, talking about the elite and the fact that they just want to live forever and that they're tapping into something where they're talking to Satan or whatever, mm. it is, whatever that thing he, yeah, I'd have to listen to it again. But ever since I heard that, I, I like, I, I don't think Alex Jones is messing or like some kind of marketing genius. I think he's he is what he is. Like mm -hmm. he is what he uh, showcases Claims himself. To be. As. Yeah, uh, yeah. He is whatever you say he is. And if he <laughs> wasn't, then why would he say he is? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so uh, that's that's Satanism as a moral panic, I guess. And um, yeah, it's we've solved that puzzle but i remember reading up about um 
crimes that apparently related to Satanism. And from there, I moved on to stuff like um, Jeffrey Dahmer and, you know, mm. the uh, the Hannibal movie series. Like, mm. when Hannibal came out, there was a huge sort of public awareness of... I, I guess the concept of cannibalism was, like, fresh in people's minds. And it turns out that Jeffrey Dahmer didn't actually eat any of his... Like, he didn't eat anything from his victim. He actually didn't participate in cannibalism at all. Mm. Uh, but, like, cannibalism was at the forefront of cultural fears at the time. So, therefore, society was like, this motherfucker eats people. And it's not yeah. like... His, his crimes were, like, as psychopath, psychopathic as it gets, but... Yeah, they're fucked up. Yeah, but it didn't involve cannibalism. But everyone yeah. knows him as a cannibal. And that's because Hannibal came out, and uh, it pushed cannibalism to the forefront of cultural fears. And, and like, that's what happened. Isn't that yeah. weird how that shapes... Like, a societal memory of an event? Well, it's weird, but I think we're witnessing at the moment, I think, like, that cannibalism kind of uh, garnered an existence of its own and became something that people projected onto others whom they feared and regarded as dangerous to society, if you know what I mean. Like, if there's something in the zeitgeist that is terrible at that moment, then people will kind of apply or misapply, in this case, that onto someone. So then it will kind of garner public support and yeah. enable a very fast judgment of that person that yeah. conforms to their like expectations and their preconceptions. Yeah, so there's a really obvious parallel we could draw with something that's happening now in the world. Should we go straight into that? Um. Yeah, cool. All right. Actually, there's, there's one other thing I wanted to say about Satanism, and it's interesting in that if you look at the evolution of the catholic or christian church there's been a, a maintenance of like the uh, the kind of portrayal of the omnipotent omniscient benevolent god but there's actually been a retraction of the emphasis on on hell and, and the devil and satan and they used to be much more kind of enforced like if you sin you're going to hell and you're going to burn there forever etc etc starting from like childhood and early primary school and stuff like that that's really been overtaken now by an emphasis on the good and you know what I mean it's, it's kind of interesting the, the evolution along that line you know what's interesting is that the bible doesn't actually contain any, any references to like one satan I like I know that Jesus meets the devil in the desert or whatever it is but um mm. it it doesn't say like he meets the devil but there are multiple devils and i i think is it satan is like it comes from the latin word for villain or something like that and basically the idea is that the actual villain in the bible is just multiple demons like lucifer is the brightest angel in heaven and then he betrays god and becomes satan but there are like so many other uh demons and devils that comprise the villain of the and and the devil that they speak of in the Bible, and also it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that hell is fiery or that it's anything to even do with fire, and I think it actually says that it's cold in hell. Okay. Which would make sense to me. Like I I never really got why it's supposed to be fiery, but um, yeah, I, 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 yeah. I'd like to sort of look into um, I like I do actually like stuff like that, looking into stuff like that in the Bible. But every time I do, it's just it's so fucking hard to read. Like it's it's not even good literature. It's, just, it's do you so... not think the Bible's good literature? Uh, I guess it's sort of hard to 
compare it with anything contemporary because the language used is so mm. uh, like dated you know like no one speaks yeah. like that anymore I like I like a lot of the stuff in the Old Testament I, I like I like the violence of it and I like how brutal it is and I like how badass God is in the early Bible but yeah. I like like you said that's not really um, comparable to the God that we're supposed to understand now and I, oh, yeah. I, I don't know if the Catholic Church is, is like readdressing its views on Satan because nobody's read the Bible closely enough to actually say, hey guys, what what is this Satan guy? What's he supposed to actually be? Because like it's yeah. just this, it's it's just Satan as a concept you can apply to fucking anything. Like if it's exactly if yeah, it, it's like it's like have you like the, you know the psychopath test that Bob Hare came up with where it's like a checklist of things that can make a person a psychopath and basically you can twist it enough to make yourself a psychopath oh really yeah so it's this really um like sort of i guess it's still open to public debate as to how can we define that someone is actually definitively a psychopath and Mm. it's like the same thing with like evil and good and stuff like that it's just well this guy has a lot of good things to say but also he believes in some weird form of he he has some weird ideology, or he has some weird opinions about the afterlife, and therefore he's evil. Like that's not compatible with mainstream um, Christianity. And therefore, we can't accept him into heaven. You know, shit like that. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I I I'd like to look a little bit closely about the devil and all that stuff. What what I really like is that you know the story of the devil like lucifer is the brightest angel in heaven and then he's like oh, yeah fuck this shit bro i'm gonna go and start hell mm. where does he go to start hell like is there just a load of empty space in the afterlife and he was like oh, i'll just <laughs> dig this up and make it yeah, real yeah, cold yeah. down here like does yeah. he have the if he has the power to do that why aren't there like several heavens of all the like why, why aren't some angels like you know what this heaven isn't friendly enough to bikers. I'm going to go make my own heaven, and it's going to be biker heaven. And if you yeah. die, your heaven is just going to be an open road and a hog, or whatever bikers say. Didn't God extradite him? Oh, did from he? From heaven. Mm. Uh, I, I, maybe I'm mixing it up with something else. I thought God kind of cast him out of heaven. Yeah, he was banished. I think so. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. Either way, oh, it's well. a discussion for yeah. So, um, as we were saying, uh, it's it's. What were you saying before? You were making like a really good parallel with the current uh, climate of moral panics and how, like. Yeah, um, yeah, j- just how people sort of. You were talking about Jeffrey Dahmer and how the kind of the, the zeitgeist, for want of a better word, at that time was kind of cannibalism, and there was sort of a, a moral panic about that. And so Jeffrey Dahmer, who did like so many like myriad terrible things mm. uh they kind of placed that moniker on him whereas now it's almost like i don't know if you look at kind of most mainstream news outlets it's like kind of trump is the new cannibalism you know what i mean yeah i think well like it's it i, I wouldn't even limit it to trump but i would say like the fear of nazism now is yeah. like higher than it was in the fucking 1930s yeah like it's nuts like I, I have nuts. like this entire perception of like this this if you imagine the fear of Satanism right and seeing a band that you know they 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 crank their amplifiers up to eleven <laughs> like and and you're like oh wow well that's Satanism rock and roll music that's Satanism you know uh, communism that's Satanism anything that you disagree with is Satanism now anything that doesn't 
follow a very strict line of a, a very strict code of of sort of conduct really like mm. social conduct anything that doesn't mm. do that is nazism now and that's really yeah. really weird um it is. it's it's like something that when when trump announced that he was running and the kkk were like fuck yeah um like i will admit that that gave me pause i was sort of like this is weird like yeah okay like white supremacists like white like and and in this case right i'm talking about actual white supremacists because they do exist in the world um mm -hmm. there are like several well-known white supremacist organizations in america um or maybe not organizations but definitely like i i guess would you even just call them gangs or groups or whatever groups yeah societies um, yeah so the mo the most outspoken one and which with probably the biggest following that isn't a member of the KKK I suppose one that puts itself forward as a legitimate political group even though they're actually just white supremacists I I don't know their um name uh, I it, I cannot recall it at all but they were mm. the first of these groups to announce their support for Donald Trump and it was a like a critical moment because no white supremacist group had ever voiced any support for a mainstream politician before. And Donald yeah. Trump was the first one where they had. I, I don't know how they reconcile that with Donald Trump's, uh, you know, the fact that he's LGBT friendly or the, or the fact that he surrounds himself with so many like Jewish businessmen or whatever. Um, yeah. But that genuinely... I won't say it scared me, but it was a thing that gave me reason to dig a little bit deeper or find out yeah, what's definitely, going on. Yeah, definitely, yeah. So, yeah, like, I guess I could see why people are looking at Trump as the sort of originator of a new wave of white supremacy. I, I don't, yeah. you know, I don't subscribe to that belief, but I can see why someone would jump to that conclusion because mm -hmm. Trump himself, like, he, you know, it, it took him a long time to actually come out and say... I don't want the KKK to to support me. You know, like he, he didn't denounce mm. him for a long, long time or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you also have to realize that it's not his fault that the KKK have gone. All right, let's support Trump. Exactly. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. It's it's not like his fucking responsibility to look at the people voting for him and say, actually, I should stop doing this because these are bad people. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's that's but, not the role of a politician as such. Like, Also, didn't he have, um, like, a father or grandfather in the KKK? Uh, possibly. Uh, I think, wasn't he? His grandfather, I think, had some... Um, he had some sketchy relations with those kinds of groups, maybe. Yeah, but yeah. I, I don't know... I, I don't know, could you even hold that against Trump, though, right? Because it was a no, exactly. different Since time. No, exactly, since our father, like, yeah. Yeah. And also, though, during the 80s, I think he had some problem with the African-American community. Well, like, Trump, kind of, the brand did, and that they weren't allowing African-Americans use their hotels and things like that. Yeah, I heard something like that, too. Yeah, but, but I'm then, not too sure of the details. There was also, like, a point in time where Trump was kind of, like, a... Not a hero as such, but he was sort of, like, a good guy in the rap community. So, um, <laughs> I don't really know... I, yeah. I, I guess I don't know enough about Trump's uh, like cultural past, like his, yeah, his, yeah. his like pop culture references in the past. And there's so much propaganda about it as well. Like he hasn't, he doesn't seem to have done anything that terrible in line with like hardline racism anyway. So like kind yeah. of if you just judge him by his actions and not kind of like this sort of hyperbole mass hysteria. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, but that is like this this fear of of Nazism. This is a moral mm. panic. This isn't a real thing. Like, yes, the KKK do exist, and like, yes, that should terrify you. Like, if I lived in a place where the KKK were down the road, I would be fucking like so frightened at that. Yeah. What I'm trying to say is that they don't have an influence on culture. Like, mm. they're not taken seriously by anybody. They're not a yeah. force in terms of their... Like, you know, they're, they're not going around recruiting hundreds and hundreds of people. They're a fringe movement yeah. that are treated as such. And Exactly, yeah. And, and you know, like, that's, that's not Donald Trump's fault. That's not this imaginary Nazism that you're inventing in your head. But, like, can you imagine, like, think back to, say, late 1970s, punk rock, post-punk, and, like, the post-modernist scene where bands like Joy Division not only took their name from, like, Nazi kind of an internment camp where they'd keep the the prostitutes for use by the soldiers, mm. but then they'd also wear Nazi memorabilia and, and Nazi jackets as an, in a kind of ironic sense, like a post-modern sense, you know what I mean? Like, I just think now that there's, like, too many people who've lost a sense of nuance, who've lost a sense of well, actually, we can do things and critique things and talk about things, and it doesn't mean we endorse them. Yeah, yeah. That's it seems true. like people have forgotten that, and it's kind of strange. Like It's almost as if uh, nowadays people can only see things at the face value. Like, if there is, like, a Nazi symbol, like, for all we know, it could be art against Nazism. It could be there to remind us of, of, of the time when, or of a possible time, where that would have been the, the symbol of a society of like the world, if you know what I mean, Nazi Germany took hold worldwide. Like it, 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 we've we've just lost a sense of nuance. I think it's really sad. Yeah, I'm so close to doing the Paul Joseph Watson voice. Um, <laughs> the have you ever seen the movie um, The Spirit? It was uh, one of those Frank Miller black and white movies uh, along the no. lines of Sin City. Well. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson plays the bad guy in that, and it takes place in some kind of alternate universe where, like, not only are superheroes a thing, but I, I think the Nazis had more of a, a cultural relevance um, in a positive light in, in that universe. But it, it, I don't know what year the spirit came out. Um, I want to say, like, 2007, just off the top of my head. That's the first year that comes to mind. But... Um, Samuel L. Jackson plays the bad guy and he has like swastika stuff like all over him and if that movie came out now there would be uproar over it and I hate being I hate saying stuff like this because I'm a guy who doesn't really think the world has changed that much overall in the last like 20 years like I like different things enter the zeitgeist and everything like that that's fine but I like people I think are largely the same I think people are just as reasonable as the, as they um, as they were back then, and, and like all of all of that kind of stuff, but I think a lot of the outrage is just entirely fake. And I think if that movie came out now, people would be like, "Oh, this is ridiculous because you can't have a black guy promoting Nazis. This is stupid. I'm not going to watch it." Like they they wouldn't <clears throat> take the time to be like, "Look, this is a different universe," you know, where things like yeah. that. But at the same exactly, time, like yeah. I, I guess the man in the high castle or whatever that series is called, like that hasn't had any protests against it. But I suppose that also has a more defined plotline. There's no vagueness to it. It's very, mm. um, for want of a better term, it's very black and white. So um, yeah, I don't know, but yeah, like I, I do think that there are so many reasons to not only dislike but to genuinely fear Donald Trump. I just don't see how any of them can be based in 
like racism, you know? Yeah. I'm sure people are going to respond to this by saying that I can't see through my white privilege, but I just, I haven't seen a proper argument to pull me into that camp, you know? No, exactly. I'm the same as well. Like, there are definitely reasons to be sort of fearful of Trump and his presidential campaign and it's kind of his volatile personality at times, his short temper. He takes things very personally. He kind of turns on a dime in relation to sort of that what should be diplomatic relations, he'll often burn bridges. You know, I mean, these sorts of things. What which the kind fuck of... his own daughter? <laughs> Who doesn't? Um, <laughs> but yeah, you, you mean her, right? Not their own daughter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, I just think that the, I think the impact Trump will have on the world will be far more insidious than something like a Holocaust or something like a nuclear kind of fallout i think it'll be something where bit by bit there'll be a retraction of western kind of outreach into other cultures perhaps you know what i mean if we look at kind of worst case scenario yeah. um as, as opposed to something much more yeah gigantic yeah it's interesting that um it's interesting that this i i, I don't know if the media are trying to make Donald Trump go to war with North Korea or if Donald Trump actually wants to go to war with North Korea. <laughs> but if that becomes his cultural legacy, then it's just not going to be good for him or anybody else, to be honest. Yeah. So, um, you know. I don't, I, yeah, I don't even know. I, I don't think that'll ever happen, to be honest. Like, I think kind of they've been espousing like the same sort of warmongering rhetoric that they're kind of doing now. They've been doing that for ages. Yeah. Like, and when you have people like Trey Parker, Matt Stone, basically caricaturing the dictator there in a hilarious movie and there's no retaliation whatsoever i think we can sort of safely assume that they're not really kind of that their bark is worse than their bite you say that but then there was a lot of controversy over the movie the interview with um, in what way though james Fran- well didn't didn't north korea come out and and like say they were really angry about it and then like maybe they hacked sony or whatever like isn't that a whole thing Sure, yeah, but like, I don't know, I, I wouldn't put hacking Sony on a comparable level to dropping a nuke. Well, I would. Because <laughs> <laughs> I work for Sony and yeah. I lost my job. <laughs> I, I, I don't think North Korea actually hacked Sony, but I, I have read like several uh, really convincing <laughs> arguments about well, that. Well, I before. do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, no, no, sure, like, and, and they could have, and it, it, it sort of makes sense, I think, that they did. But again, I kind of I'd put that down to bark over bite. Yeah, I think you're right. But I just fail to see how you don't understand that hacking Sony is an act of war. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You 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 attack our name, we hack your movie. <laughs> Sony yet so far. Um... <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> that was that was actually bad. Like you. Can a pun be actually bad? No, because they're don't, all don't terrible. Don't answer that. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're all t- terror pun. Uh, pff, kill me. Um, where were we? What were we talking about? Nazism and how that's a thing that we're all afraid of now. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's weird. Like, the other thing is that we shouldn't be giving voices to, like, people like, uh, what's that fucking guy's name? Richard Spencer, is that his name? 
Yeah. Like, the dude is a fucking lunatic. Can, like, yeah, can, can we yeah. stop acting like he's important? That's that's the thing that I don't get. Like, it's... I don't know. It's, it, do you know what I fucking hate? You know well, it's going to be good every time I start a sentence like that. <laughs> it's when the people who are very anti-SJW start to almost sympathize with the people that the SJWs are against. So in this case, Richard Spencer is just a fucking idiot and like a deplorable human being. And I use the word deplorable there to be right on the nose with my criticism of him. <laughs> like, he's an actual white supremacist. He wants to create an actual all-white ethno-state. His, um, his ideology is perfectly aligned with the philosophy of the Nazis. I don't mean the actions of the Nazis, I mean the philosophy of the Nazis. They yeah. both want white Aryan ethno-states, okay? And so, because, like, liberals are so outraged that Richard Spencer keeps getting airtime and all of that, you see lots of clever right-wing people on Twitter, like, they'll give him a follow, they'll give him the odd favourite, they'll retweet him if it is something that they agree with. And it's like, yeah, it, it's like you're shooting yourself in the foot kind of by doing that. It's like, I can't take you seriously as a person if you retweet him just because he says something like, oh, I'm drinking this cup of liberal tears. Like, dude, like, fuck off with that shit. Like, you know, you, you yeah. can't be so happy to see your enemies writhing in agony that you want to be friends with their other enemies. That's yeah, just, yeah. I, I cannot stand that mentality, and I see it all the time. And I see it on the right now with people like, I don't know, like, people like, the fact that Tommy Robinson is seen as a reasonable voice now, like, is like, I, I just, I can't wrap my head around it, because, like, this guy, this guy is like a, a football hooligan racist type guy. Like, he's not even, a lot of the stuff that he says, he quite clearly has not done any real research on it. But you'll see sound bites from the things that he says where he, he'll say something that's objectively true. And then that soundbite gets taken out of an otherwise incoherent speech. And that gets paraded as, oh, look how smart Tommy Robinson is. He called this thing. It's like this this dude is a hate monger. Like he, this is a guy. Is he the who, guy who was talking after the London attack? Yeah, yeah. 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 Tommy Robinson. He's the guy who founded the EDL. He's the guy who stood next to another guy on stage who said, send the black cunts home in Newcastle to rupturous applause from a bunch of guys with bags of cans who are out for the day to do football chants. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's not a sincere political thing. And yet you see so many intelligent people like just going along with it because ultimately the enemy of their enemy is their friend. And I just, I, I hate that mentality and I don't think it gets anybody anywhere. And it just, it ends up muddying everything and just, you, yeah. you just get stuck there. You don't actually make any progression. So that's, yeah, yeah. that's a, there's a rant. <laughs> Yeah, no, um, I agree. Like, I, I, but again, though, like you say, like some stuff he says, kind of is reasonable. But I think you have to take like the the contextual approach and kind of understand where he's coming from and why he's saying these things and kind of what he means by them himself. Mm. Yeah, like I understand that he's from Luton and Luton has sort of, I don't know, would you use the word succumbed to Islamism and Sharia law and all that stuff? I understand that he's afraid, but like. <laughs> I mean, the EDL has never... I guess you could say he disbanded the EDL and tried to and decided to go in another direction and stuff like that. But, like, his his origin story as a 
figure or a political figure is just not one that makes me think that he has anything good to say or, or any that he I think the world that he would like to live in is nowhere near the same as the world that someone like Dave Rubin or any other uh, yeah you know libertarian or classic liberal with right wing sort of values now you know wants to create and it's just the tommy robinson's real name is stephen lennon and he chose the name tommy robinson because that's the leader of like a football firm from luton who used to go and fight people at other football games do you know what i mean like that's the, mm. that's the guy you're dealing with there so yeah 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 I, I i hate seeing people just act like he's this amazing guy who speaks a lot of truth and he says the things that other people are too afraid to say and stuff. Yeah, 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 I know what you mean. Nonsense. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, um, will we... Should we move on? Do you want to say anything else about... I'm sure we'll definitely come back around to what's yeah, happening yeah, in the world cool. now. But, um, should we move on to, like, mass hysteria? And yeah. I, I, I kind of am really interested to hear your insight on the concept of mass hysteria from a sort of like a psychological point of view because you are a psychologist <laughs> so <laughs> showtime yeah um so we talked about mass hysteria before didn't we but it was on the other episode that got lost in the yeah in, in the, the cyber ether. realm yeah, yeah. The cyber realm um so mass hysteria which is also known as like collective group hysteria or something like that isn't it um, yeah it, it's like these rare cases of Multiple people succumbing to a, it could be like a, a contagion, like a reaction to a virus that isn't actually chemically in their system, but they display all the symptoms of it. Or it could be people who, like around each other, they just start laughing and they can't stop laughing. It, it's, it's <laughs> like, you know. Um... <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Maybe you should explain what mass hysteria is, because yeah, and I, I think you're kind of you might be selling a little bit short by saying it's not in their system, and I'll go into that in a little bit. So hysteria, basically, if you want to get into kind of the etymology of it, it kind of originated back in in Freudian times, and it, it comes from the Greek meaning of the womb, and it used to be believed that only women could be hysterical. Obviously, women have wombs. Um, they're the only gender that have wombs. Sorry, SJW. That's and... so sexist. <laughs> 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 I can discriminate a man from a woman. What can I say? I have a pair of eyes and a brain. Um, wow. So, I know. So anyway, um, yeah, so women were, would be hysterical. And do you know how they used to cure these women of their hysteria? Uh, it's going to be something outrageously sexist, isn't it? Uh, not as that, not sexist per se, but it's, it's it's very interesting and very female oriented. They used to like fire, or what would you say? How do you what do you do to a hose? You pour from a I don't know. Spray. Anyway, they okay. They used to spray water at women's genitalia to cure them of their hysteria. I I mean, how is that not sexist? <laughs> but like women would say it works like but basically all that would happen is these women who never would have reached orgasm through sex because sex was something that a woman had to put up with back then and not enjoy uh, true, yeah. that they'd say they felt better um so essentially it was just like a weird sort of clinical medical masturbation it's that the, you know the way like typically like males are like the ones that get 
that suffer with autism like in general like it's you know it's 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 a predominantly yes. male disorder right yeah can you imagine old-timey logic of like yeah well this guy had autism so we kicked him in the dick and now he's so much better <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> it's just yeah anyway yeah. um yeah no that is actually interesting though to i yeah. i see i see now why they did it i didn't i did not make the distinction between i thought it was like a cruel punishment type oh thing. no no like the women enjoyed it <laughs> yeah, like okay. it's the same the way like uh, women now enjoy showers sometimes a little bit more than men right Look, john i'm sorry i don't have a vagina i couldn't fucking relate <laughs> to the sensation that they probably feel <laughs> it's okay it's okay when you go to thailand you know all about it um but yeah so then okay so that's the first thing that's the etymology hysteria is if you're going to be pedantic about it something that only women experience we all know now that it's something that kind of uh, spreads across genders and that and what we mean by hysteria now isn't what freud meant about it in like the 1930s and i'm shocked to learn that freud made an inaccurate assumption about (laughs) you don't like freud i remember i fucking hate that fraud no, I actually didn't mean that, is it? Like, I, I use the word fraud a lot now. Um, okay. But he is a fraud. He is a failing pile of garbage, as Donald Trump would say to anyone that says something bad about him. <laughs> uh, um, don't hold back. <laughs> <laughs> it's just... <laughs> I do this all the time. I hate him. But it's just the way... Like, if anyone... Like, uh, hey, Freud, um, my remote control, the batteries have died... Oh, okay. Uh, that's because you have sexually repressed frustrations and you're in love with your mother. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ, Freud. Not everything is to do with sexuality, for God's mm. sake. I don't know who this quote belongs to. I think it's misattributed to Oscar Wilde, but it's um, everything in life has to do with sex, apart from sex. Sex has to do with power. It was Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> <laughs> as the uh, subway jet streams were blowing up under her dress. <laughs> yeah. 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 But anyway, so back to hysteria. Um, you were saying there that it's not necessarily something that's sort of innate or like within the person himself. It's sort of like a, a diffusion or like an epiphenomenon of kind of emotional or apparent or perceived awareness of others and the, and the environment around you, right? Is that yeah. kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a really interesting concept in psychology called the fear contagion effect. And what this is, apparently there's like this sort of endogenous mechanism in everybody that when we see somebody scared, it actually makes us scared. And the reason for that is quite interesting. Um, possibly uh, evolutionarily adaptive in that if someone is scared, there's probably reason. And yeah. if you can become scared, then before you actually see the danger, it might uh, garner you with some advantage to overcome it, possibly of like a, a time-based nature. You know what I mean? You, you've kind of got a readiness to react that you wouldn't have had if you didn't feel scared without seeing the person. So anyway, within each of us, there are these specific type of brain cells, so a neuron, and they're called mirror neurons. And what mirror neurons do is they have a really interesting function in that they fire when we watch people do things. Um, So, for instance, I would go out and play basketball and playing basketball would cause certain neurons to fire. When I watch someone play basketball, these mirror neurons react in a way that's almost identical to the way that I would have reacted if I was actually playing basketball. Oh, wow. And that's why some people in prison, they would 
take a golf club or whatever, something probably by themselves, and they would practice. Shit, no, is it even with a golf It might actually even be without a golf club or without like a stick of any sort. They would basically work through the motions of playing golf and their uh, golfing ability would improve over the years of doing this without ever playing any golf just by going through the motions because these mirror neurons would be working in the same way that they would have worked had they actually been playing golf. Wow. Just imagining it garnered them with a significant advantage over their previous ability. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. So, so that, alongside the fear contagion effect, sort of feeds into mass hysteria and shows there is sort of a biological and physiological mechanism by which we succumb to it. Wow. That's crazy. Mm. So if I watch every episode of Pokemon, I am more <laughs> likely to be a Pokemon master because I've seen someone else do it. Except you'll have no friends to tell it about. Yeah. <laughs> that is true, yeah. Pokemon's the best thing ever. No, I actually can't say a bad word about it. I still think like Pokemon Red and Blue were the two greatest games to ever grace the earth. Metal Gear Solid says hi. Yeah, see that's up there. But like, if you think about like what was Pokemon like an eight bit game? Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I have nothing to say back to that. I guess. <laughs> and and like I I don't like Metal Gear Solid. While amazing, it's something that you sort of almost perceive as much as you perform. With Pokemon, you immerse yourself in it. You spend, like, yeah, I don't know. It was just way more of a reaction to Pokemon. Like, kind of, yeah. I think uh, Age of Empires does that for me. Interesting, yeah. At the same time, like, that, that is a game that ran on very little disk space, and, you know, you can play it an infinite number of times, and you're you're never going to see the same map twice. Yeah, yeah. That kind of thing. That's pretty And yeah, it, it just never plays out the same way twice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, no, it, it is amazing. Do you, do you have any examples of uh, recent events of mass hysteria? There's an interesting one, actually. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Koro, K-O-R-O. No, I haven't. So Koro is a really interesting culture-specific syndrome, delusional disorder. So kind of if you're talking psychiatric terms, a delusion is a fixed false belief that is culturally inappropriate. And they had to add that is culturally inappropriate because by fixed false belief, technically religion would also be under yeah. the delusion, uh, a la Richard Dawkins, the God delusion. So anyway, Koro... <laughs> you said Allah and then you said Richard Dawkins. And that's funny because Richard Dawkins is a devout Muslim who has <laughs> pledged his life to Allah. <laughs> exactly. Um, it was in intentional. And uh, so Koro is, as I said, a culture-specific syndrome delusional disorder that has, like, <laughs> engenders males with the overpowering belief that their genitalia is retracting and will soon disappear. Oh, you told me about this before and it made me want to kill myself. Yeah. It makes me so not... uncomfortable to think about it. All right, here's the interesting thing. So not only is it sort of basically specific to Japan and the surrounding areas, but it also comes in waves in that it's almost as if like kind of it's an outbreak of MRSA or an outbreak of TB. Loads of people at once will start to come to their doctors complaining of it. And then it'll be sort of like placid for a while. There'll be no new cases. And then again, there'll be a resurgence of people coming to their doctor being like, oh, my God, it's retracting. I can see it every day. It's a bit smaller. It's a bit smaller. And I know it's going to disappear. You so should have said flaccid instead of placid, by the way. <laughs> oh, very good. But um, 
but but there's no communication between these people. Like I'm sure they're so embarrassed and so sort of aghast at what's happening that there's no way in a million years they'd tell their peers, especially other males. They probably think they're the only person who this has ever happened to and whoever like it, it ever will happen to. But yet it, it comes in waves like a tsunami and sends Ooh. them all to the doctors. <laughs> that was on the nose. <laughs> um, staying in Asia, actually, I read about these guys in China who had sex with prostitutes and basically convinced themselves somehow that they had AIDS because there's like a huge culture of shaming anyone who cheats on their wives in China, um, mm. which I actually find hard to believe in all honesty. Uh, judging by their record for, you know, uh, human rights uh, when mm. it comes to women and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, apparently this is true. Um, and it seems more fitting of a country like Japan and what I know about Japan, because that's yeah. a lot of, um, like, just the, the concept of honor is, is very strong in Japan. And value. They have super strong values that they find it very hard to deviate from. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, but this apparently happened in China, so um, anyway, <laughs> we'll move on. They're all the same anyway, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, speaking um, of China, actually, it's, it's really interesting. So my ex's friend's... Yeah, so my ex's friend was over in China. He was teaching English as a second language over there, and, and he found a girl, and they were going out, and they were girlfriend-boyfriend. But I don't know if this is kind of generalizable, but apparently Chinese women, when they're having sex... They very much like to make it appear that they are not enjoying it or that they are being forced to have sex or that they are being held against their will. And like he apparently had to stop numerous times like, oh, my God, are you OK? Like, am I doing something wrong? And she's like, oh, no, no, you're you're doing everything right. This is how Chinese women have have sex. Like, and, But he said it was the weirdest thing until he got used to it. That is a thing <laughs> that I would never I would never tell another person <laughs> if. I found myself in that position, and also I absolutely do not believe that that's, that that's the way they respond to it. <laughs> he is definitely being had. <laughs> He's definitely in a fucking jail cell right now, serving yeah, yeah. <laughs> serving a rape sentence or something like that. That's, that's def none of that is is true. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, but that's... yeah, okay. So we can talk about other examples. Okay, let's move away from the Asian. Oh wait, I just wanted pet. to say though, um, still uh, sticking specifically with Asians and sex. Um, th these guys not only convinced themselves that they had AIDS, but they actually exhibited symptoms of AIDS. Like oh, wow. th their immune system just completely like fell off a cliff. Um, they they, wow. they they would like have to get antibiotics all the time. I wonder if I have AIDS actually. Just as a side note, because I'm on my sixth set of antibiotics in six weeks, and that's very bad. I probably don't have AIDS anyway. Um, <laughs> it's probably just from all the meth that I smoke. But um, or the gay sex. Yeah, <laughs> well, it could be that. You never know. Um, yeah. Or all the sex with monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> Or chopping them up. That's how the first person got AIDS. Do you know that he had sex with a monkey? That's fucked up. I, I thought the monkey had sex with him. <laughs> Do you know in the monkey community they're talking about what caused the HIV to enter their establishment? <laughs> <laughs> how did it get here? I say it was those humans. <laughs> yeah, it was. They blame... <laughs> That's amazing, just the idea of a bunch of monkeys, like, these fuckers. These humans. Yeah, yeah. You slept with the AIDS human. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, Actually, man. have you seen that video of the 
I think it was like a gorilla throwing the poo at the granny. No. <laughs> it's amazing. She's like sitting down behind a glass like wall, but like she's over, like she's, she's high up and the monkey's low down, <laughs> but he picks up his poo and throws it. It lands on her nose. I joke not like kind of one of those fake witches nose noses. Yeah. Yeah. And it's actually real. I'm, I'm sure some of your uh, listeners have watched it. So if you have, go you. Yeah, or link it to us in the in the thing because um, it's I, hilarious. I will never Google it. <laughs> I will <laughs> I will literally only see that if someone sends me the link. So yeah, um, yeah. yeah there, there, there you go. Honestly, that thing about I wonder could you even relate this back to mass hysteria, right? You know how so the penis retracts and that's like a, a fear that they have. I read a story one time in the Sun. I think it was in the Dear Deirdre section, and it was like this woman was like my son's penis disappears into his body sometimes in the bath and oh uh, anyway i read it and it changed my life because i was terrified forever of that happening and i still wince when i think about it and Jesus. that that like involuntary response to something horrifying or something that I, like it's it's like an irrational um horror right like it's an irrational fear to have Mm. is that in any way linked to mass hysteria do you know in your like experience of studying it or whatever um i don't think so i don't think that would be mass hysteria because i don't think it fulfills the criteria of being anything to do with like mass or like like, multiple people it's not translatable in any way yeah and it's sort of i think possibly very personal to you perhaps yeah like if i read about certain things or look up certain things i know that i could have an overreaction to that that other people wouldn't even though my reaction is very real it's just very personal at the same time yeah like when i think of someone drinking a glass of milk i physically gag if i think about it hard enough because wow milk is disgusting like and I... apparently it's used as a symbol of white purity at the moment that's actually I I I've actually been annoyed by how that's been misconstrued by people. Um the Nazi guys drinking milk, there is a pseudoscience um that's that originated in some Nazis or white supremacist group or whatever that your ability your body's ability to process milk like, isn't milk, like, quite hard on the stomach or something like that? There's something about milk that makes it difficult to digest in comparison to other stuff. Like, it's quite a thick liquid and stuff like that. And um, North Europeans, Northern Europeans have a bit of bother with it. Like, they, like lactose intolerance is kind of a real thing and affects certain cultures differently or yeah. people within those cultures differently. Yeah, so um, white supremacists believe that your ability to process milk, your body's ability to process milk is a a defining trait of the Aryan great race. And, um, yeah, there's an entire pseudoscience dedicated to it. Like, if you Google it, you'll find it. There's, like, they have these maps of the world made where it's, like, regions based on their ability to to process milk. Like, literally, that's a genuine thing. So, like, those guys drinking milk, that actually was a racist gesture. And it's not because it's white. You know. Yeah, yeah. I think the African, I think African Americans actually have a higher incidence of lactose intolerance. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. that, like, you know, people being uh, offended by those guys drinking milk and that being a whole joke thing—that's actually not true. Like, that's a legit white supremacist mm-hmm. trait. So, 
it, it just kind of annoys me to see people dismissing that as nothing when yeah you know what i mean it's 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 not quite that they dismissed it i don't care they're drinking milk that's not a reason to get offended or whatever but don't act like these guys are your heroes because they're creating liberal tears or they're making liberals salty you know what i mean like the, yeah. these guys are basically doing a heil hitler gesture up there you know what i mean like that that is as white supremacist as it comes in terms of uh, harmless gestures you can make to show your um, ideology or racist tendencies. So, yeah. That's... But then you have weird stuff like Nivea having to retract one of its advertising campaigns because it said something like uh, pure whiteness or something like that. Do you know a, a side note here? Um, in my workplace, right, we've got like a kitchen and um, th there's like a, a row of desks that's very, very close to the kitchen door to the point where. Um, one of the girls that sits on on the very end of that desk, like she just has to turn her head left, and and her head is almost in the kitchen. Like I think she could reach <laughs> into the kitchen if she where she belongs. <laughs> but um, <laughs> anyway, this girl's black, right? The one that's the closest to the kitchen. And my Ooh. manager, he's he's like the senior manager of the whole section. He was talking about um, he was talking about some TV show that he was watching, and he was referring to one of the characters, and he he was like the half cast guy. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And um, the black girl immediately, like, she lifted her head up and looked over, and the guy doesn't even know that he said a really racist thing. Yeah. What I think is interesting about the word half-caste, though, is if you break it up into, like, both parts half-caste, it really doesn't sound that bad. It doesn't sound that derogatory or pejorative. No, it doesn't. But and I, I genuinely it, yeah. didn't know it was a pejorative term until, like, yeah. about five years ago or something. Because, like, it's super bad, yeah. Yeah, it's really, really awful. It's it, it yeah. Casts, uh, for anyone that doesn't know, caste comes from the Latin word pure. So half-caste is you're half-white, so you're half-pure. Uh, yeah. That's where the it's it's actually like it's quite prevalent in Ireland that term half caste. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I I honestly think people are just grossly ignorant about kind of where like as you said there like where it comes from and yeah. the implications of it. Yeah. I, yeah, I do think a senior manager should really know not to use a term like that. Yeah, like surely, like, if, like you'd have to have undergone some kind of training to you know like. Yeah. Once a year, I have to do a quiz about uh, discrimination in the workplace and stuff. Like, it, oh wow, well. you gotta know that the term half caste is off the table, right? Like, yeah, yeah. But like, that's you know, that's a, a black girl in my place of work. Heard a senior mm. manager refer to someone as half caste. So like, for yeah, all she... she knows, that guy is a white supremacist. Yeah, and if she reports him, he could be in really hot water. Yeah, for real, like. But um, yeah. yeah, no. To your point, sorry, I kind of brushed that off. The whole that Nivea—that's fucking nonsense. That a lot of this, like the Nivea thing, and you know what? Even the Pepsi ad. Have you seen the Pepsi yeah, ad? Yeah, I have. Right. Kylie Jenner. Yeah. So the advert is tone deaf. Like no doubt about that whatsoever. But it's yeah. not racist, right? No, it's, it's just no a wrong. stupid ad. It's a classic yeah. case of a company trying exactly. to capitalize on what it thinks is a is a, a sort of a, a prominent cultural step. It, it's just. Yeah. I cannot believe that they... In fact, you know what? It wouldn't even surprise me to learn they did this all on purpose because right now Pepsi is like literally more popular than it's ever been. Yeah. It's, it's on the tip of everyone's tongues in, in more ways than one. Exactly, yeah. That was a, that was a, That's a, a, the kind of pun that I like. It's not really a pun, it's wordplay, but that's I like that. That's good. Do stuff like that. <laughs> Less puns, more stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, outrage culture is definitely a thing, and, um, 
I don't mm. like it, not one bit. And uh, would you would you describe that as mass hysteria, or would you describe it as moral panic? Like, where would you put that sort of thing from a from the, from the I'd point put, of view of a psychologist? You know what I mean? I'd put that as moral panic. I'd put that as people. So, like, the the way I differentiate them basically is: are people having an intellectual reaction to it or a visceral reaction? This is an intellectual reaction that's abstracted from what's going on at the moment with the likes of Black Lives Matter. What people's perceptions are of sort of systemic discrimination from the workforce, institutionalized racism. Like these are kind of intellectual things. Like a baby isn't born with a autonomic, automatic reaction to institutional racism. These are learned things. You know what I mean? They're intellectual yeah. things. And that for me would, would be what differentiates it from mass hysteria, which is sort of, I just need to look at it. Like for instance, a, a baby will not, if you put uh, perspex uh, plastic, over a step and place a baby on the step even though the baby will not fall it doesn't know this doesn't understand kind of the the concept of plastic it will not walk across this step because it thinks it's going to fall so that is sort of an innate sense of danger an innate fear that this baby has whereas something like that pepsi ad i think it's an intellectual or what i class a pseudo intellectual rejection of their uh, content i would class it as Babies are fucking idiots. <laughs> Send those morons back to space or wherever they come from. Those <laughs> fucking idiots. Yeah. Um, basically. Yeah. Stop being so fucking needy. Jesus. <laughs> I get it. You're little. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> should we talk about babies for the rest of the podcast? <laughs> anyway. Um, I thought that was the plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've got six pages of notes here, and all it says is babies multiple times. God damn it, that, when are we gonna... That's like the Stanford applicant who just wrote hashtag Black Lives Matter a hundred times and actually got a place. That's not a real thing, is it? That is a real thing. Surely not. Surely. Jesus. And I'm not mistaking your name. No. <laughs> God. Stop calling me sure. So <laughs> some guy, like, he had a, what, like a personal... Uh, Statement to... application... Yeah, yeah. And he just wrote, as far as I know, hashtag Black Lives Matter a hundred times, and that got him a place in one of the most prestigious universities in the world. How did they, um, you know, explain that? Well, I guess they didn't have to, but after he was accepted, he probably went public with it. That is nuts. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. ridiculous. You, like you, anybody, I mean, what, yeah. you could write any trending hashtag on a piece of paper. Like, that's not a... Like, what? How is that... Nah, surely, you can't, they're, they're the, so that's one of the most, Jesus man, I'm angry. <laughs> so that's one of the most prestigious, yeah. um, you know, uh, like academic places you can go. Oh in yeah. Um, it's in, it's in what, top five, isn't it? Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, so like, for all they know, this is a guy who has like a mental disorder or something and just yeah. he decided to write whatever the top trending thing on Twitter was onto his application and it happened to be Black Lives Matter, right? Well, I presume they're also taking into account things like GPA. Uh, like, the, 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 this is kind of a personal statement where he kind of talks about himself a bit more. Like, so the, the grades are objective, they're there. I presume they're good. Mm. Um, maybe they're conforming to certain quotas. I don't know what the, the race of the person who did this was. But, um, yeah, so, like, I don't think this is the only impression of them they get, but apparently, like, it's it's kind of the part of your application that either makes or breaks your application. 
Well, black lives do matter, so he has got a point there, I guess. You can Black olives matter too. Do you know what? They don't. I love black olives. I tasted an olive for the first time in <laughs> August 2016, and I still haven't gotten the fucking taste out of my mouth. <laughs> they are fucking... Have you your teeth? Yes, I have. Thank you for asking. <laughs> they are fucking disgusting. It's oh, like, it's like I get it, you're an olive. Why do you taste so overbearingly strong of olive? Like, <laughs> oh my god, it's the most aggressive fucking assault on my taste buds I've ever experienced in my life. It's like, mm. do you, why would you even bother getting anything else with, like, if you're going to eat olives, surely you just eat a whole bowl of them. You're not going to get a pizza with <laughs> olives on it, because you're not going to taste any of the pizza. It's just going to be all olive. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So do you like olives or? <laughs> ah, I'm indifferent to them. I have I no I opinion one way or the other. I think like my ancestors or ancestry was like part Greek or something because like I'm just mad for olives. You could and... definitely pass for a Greek guy. Yeah, or and feta cheese. I like all the cheese. Yeah, me too. Cheese is a strong. Cheese is a, a good one. Yeah. Cheese and white supremacist milk. That's all I need. Um, yeah. Suckling from the udder of Uberman. That's correct. Yes. <laughs> that is how I spend my Sunday afternoons. Um, yeah. What were we fucking talking about before we... Mass hysteria um, and collective the Pepsi outrage. Ad. The Pepsi ad. Yeah. I, outrage is such an interesting thing. Um, I listened to John Ronson's book, uh, So You've Been Publicly Shamed. Because I don't read books, I listen to them. And um, he spoke about... I, I mentioned this before, actually, didn't I? Um, the the girl who who said, I'm going to Africa, hope I don't get AIDS. Just kidding, I'm oh, a yeah. lol. Um, and how people ruined her life, right? And yeah. we always associate outrage with uh, the left and the SJWs and, and the likes. Um, and let's face it, they are uh, largely the perpetrators when it comes to getting a Nivea ad removed and shit like that. Um, but the um, the outrage aimed at her was not left or right. It was just aggro. Like, hope you get yeah. raped, hope you die, hope you get raped by a black guy with AIDS, stuff yeah. like that. Um, what would cause people to be so committed to ruining her life she's only one of the subjects in his book um there are many many others and like we can think of many examples you know from just mm. twitter and facebook or like people who you know th these perceived transgressions are just punished so heavily by a society that has decided that we are the judge jurors and executioners and that we decide people's fate and we decide what's okay and what isn't okay like irrespective of the law basically um we're gonna get people's jobs taken from them and stuff like that because of things that they say and it's it's outrageous <laughs> 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 no it's crazy yeah. though like yeah. it's, it's it's really i don't think there's any historical precedent for that is there i guess maybe like the like lynching and that sort of thing like tar and feather yeah, like a that's a like maybe a yeah public shaming thing. Um, yeah, like throw the tomatoes or the vegetables. No, throwing the tomatoes is a good thing. Throwing the vegetables is bad. No, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I think that's what it's. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. <laughs> that's um, that's what Eric Clapton did, wasn't it? Oh. He didn't realize though that it was just a metaphor. God love him. 
You're a huge Clapton fan, aren't you? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think uh, um, the song Layla is like, if it's not the fast electric guitar version, fuck off. I, yeah. I, the fucking Layla got I know. me on my knees. Shut up! Why, do you, why does that get radio play? Yeah, that never would have stole George Harrison's girlfriend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, poor George Harrison, he was the best Beatle. <laughs> I thought it was Ringo. Well, Ringo, yeah, is the true best Beatle. The yeah. best Beatle is the one that's never written a number one song. <laughs> Imagine that, Ringo. Is, is he the only one? Yeah. God love him. Yeah, it's funny. I've got a really good trivia question. That's name one band who where all four members have written a number one hit single, and it's not the Beatles. Uh, is it like Queen? Yeah, it's Queen. Boom. Yeah. Take but, that. But they are <laughs> garbage. They are and they aren't though. Like Freddie Mercury, legit has the best rock voice of all time, like pop rock voice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, Brian, like, the, the, like musically, they're incredible. But yes. I yeah. just don't think that their songs have three dimensions. I want if anyone. Uh, is listening and is a religious listener of this show. Can you please tell me what episode was it where I went on my Bohemian Rhapsody rant? Because I want to re-listen to it because I feel like I never made more sense in my life than when I buried that song. And I can't remember how I did it, but it was, you know, uh, a thing that I did. And just, can someone please, just someone leave that in the comments or on the Reddit page or whatever. Just tell me when that happened. Jamie, can you pull it up? Oh, you don't exist. You only work for Joe Rogan, and you're not even in my room right now. Okay, fine. Um, let's move on. Uh, yeah, yeah, I um, agree. Yeah, I I can think of uh, an incident uh, of uh, political correctness gone mad uh, from uh, the pre-internet era when um, a guy called David Howard, who was an aide to the mayor of Washington D.C., um, Basically, the budget for uh, for the state was released, and David Howard described it as niggardly, which means like it's stingy. It's uh, it uses a lot of financial tight. restraint. Tight, yeah. yeah. Um, and basically, it like so. I I first heard that, and I thought, right, there's a word called niggardly. Obviously, it's it's a bad thing. And the reason that the word is a word at all is because they borrow from the racist word that we all have flashing in our head right now with a neon sign. Um, mm. and, and that's why it's niggardly, right? No, actually, it comes from Latin. The negro is uh, Spanish for black, which comes from the Latin word for black. Anyway, like it's, it's, it's a legit yeah. word in its own right, irrespective of the fact that racism exists in the world. And he used it in its correct context. And he had to fucking resign from his job. It's ridiculous, isn't it? This was in 1999. Oh, it's just ridiculous. So, um, I, like, this is why I don't think political correctness is a new issue, but it's definitely been on steroids for quite a while now. But, um, yeah. Jamie's just shown me this, actually. It comes from the Old Norse verb nigla, means to fuss about small matters, perhaps. Ah, oh, right. Good work, Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> Good work, Jamie. <laughs> but how many people got that joke? Um... <laughs> But yeah, it's crazy though, right? Like he just said, uh, this budget is 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 niggardly, and like admittedly, it's a fucking stupid word to like. What are you doing, like using a word like that? Are you trying to like impress some girl with your like 
fucking vocabulary. Um, yeah, yeah. But anyway, like that's not the point. The point is, um, I, I just I, I cannot believe that he lost his job for that reason. I know. It's crazy. Like yeah, lo- like, yeah losing your job for an actual like legit word in legit context is yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. It makes oh me want God. to start using that word, but for the fact that I'm not an idiot and I like it's a stupid yeah. thing to do. I don't, I, like, I'm trying to think of any comparison, right? And there's not really a lot of things you can say to... N- not not discriminate against me, but, like, you, you know how, like, the, the N-word, right, is, like... Yeah. It, the implications of that word are so strong because you basically box someone, you pigeonhole someone by using that word, and it makes them feel yeah. really small because it's such a... There's no real word you could say to me that would make me feel like that, you know? Like, you could call yeah. me a Fenian or a Paddy or whatever. That doesn't really do the same thing because it just doesn't have the historical connotations and the... Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. I suppose I can't really understand what it must be like to hear that word or whatever, but Jesus Christ, this is a guy who... I mean, it wouldn't even surprise me if the majority of the people complaining about it were actually white, but mm. it's, uh, it is... It is uh... Like, as a politician, if I were one, I wouldn't use it for the sole purpose that, like, what if you had to sneeze after that second syllable? Yeah, <laughs> right. You know, like, sometimes sneezes interrupt my speech. I'd just be so worried that, like, something, like, maybe, I don't know, I think is something else after that second syllable or whatever, and you just look like a right tool. It's like the... It's like the political equivalent of going for a shower in a house that isn't yours and you don't bring your towel with you. Like, you know that at <laughs> some point you're going to have to run naked across the corridor. So yeah. it's just not a clever thing to do. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it's just, it's a tactical backfire, but um, it's, yeah. at the end of the day, it's a word in its correct context and a man did not deserve to lose his job or his life. Now, he yeah. didn't lose his life, but... <laughs> If that did happen, he would not <laughs> he have deserved it. <laughs> no, no. Um, we should actually dedicate this podcast to his memory. Yeah, that's right. In memory of David Howard, the aide to Anthony A. Williams, Washington, yeah. D.C.'s mayor of 1999. <laughs> I cannot think of a more irrelevant fucking person. <laughs> Uh, his wikipedia his name on wikipedia isn't even blue you know what that means folks he doesn't even have a wikipedia page who the fuck is he (laughs) even i have a wikipedia page what's that jamie i don't have a wikipedia page get out of here jamie oh god damn it um right where do we what were we talking about outrage um yeah, so right. outrage, I guess, doesn't function as a, as a, a part of mass hysteria, right? But um, there is some sort of interesting psychology going on there, I think, in what makes a person just... I, I don't know, it's it's like, whenever I see people really outraged about a thing, what I'm kind of seeing is hate. Like, I just, I look in their eyes and I see just hate pouring out of them. Mm. I Like, I really don't like it. I don't respond well to anger and hate and stuff. Unless it's, like, Slipknot's third album or something like that. I love that shit. But, um, it's, it's like that way when I see Paul Joseph Watson complaining about... Will I do it? Will I just do the voice? Yes. When he complains about virtue signaling celebrities. Um, <laughs> I just, I see hate pouring out of him. Like, it's... And, I, like, I yeah. do the same thing when I see, like, SJWs talk about, you know, whatever weird thing they've latched onto that week. Like, I 
I just they're they're just so angry, and it's like just it's like they like my um like pop psychologist opinion of it is that they just have all this anger within them, and they need a place to throw it. Yeah, yeah. And so it comes out at these ridiculous things that they. It's it's like a release valve for them where they can sort of feel good without doing anything good. Yeah, is that yeah. is there any like truth to that theory? Yeah, or? like I, I I think so. Like catharticism. Uh, catharsism. What's the word? Is it catharsism? It's yeah, catholicism. It's catharsis. <laughs> Cathartic catharsism. Um, yeah, I, I, I think kind of talking through things, especially things that are kind of annoying you, worrying you, provoking or causing anxiety, like it makes sense that bringing these up not only sort of would help resolve them, sometimes things can disappear by saying them, yeah. like the word silence, or like, yeah, I, I, I do think it kind of... Yeah, I think it just allows them to kind of deal with them a bit better, like, and also to feel like they're doing something. I don't know. I, I, I think it does offer something that's kind of not very real, but... But it's, it's definitely so... a compulsion either way. Like, it's, yeah. it's a thing they feel like they have to do. Yeah. Whether like or not ever it's wanna... helpful, you know. Exactly. Like, if you ever want a good laugh, like, if you just go onto, like, the New York Times Facebook page and read some of the comments, like... Like, the way people go so overboard about certain issues. Like, you know what I mean? It's absolutely absurd. Like, do you remember that, like, girl, that bronze statue opposite the bull on Wall Street? And there was this guy who took a photo, like, dry humping her. I don't even know if he was dry humping her. He was, like, sure. He was, like, standing beside her with with a leg leaning forward, if you want to call that dry humping. But, like, people were saying, oh, my God, I hope he gets found out. I hope he gets, like... Uh, his details get released. I hope he gets fired from his job. I hope this haunts him for the rest of his life. Like that's what they're saying because he took a photo that they disagreed with. You, you tagged me in that on Facebook. Was that the I thing? I did. Yeah. yeah. Holy shit! I was. I had to like do a a quick like double I, take. Yeah, like I, I've really fallen out with um the way Facebook works, right? Because I I, I don't go on it often and uh, I don't understand a lot of what it is anymore. And mm. I had to make sure that I wasn't looking at a screenshot of an yeah. Onion article exactly. or something. It was, was the, the New York weirdest Times. thing. And, like, these comments had so many thumbs up. Like, it was absolutely yes. crazy. Like, it was unanimous that that was what people wanted to happen to yeah, this person. Yeah, exactly. And not only was it unanimous, it was so open about the, like you know what i mean like there were so virtue signaling as in like oh my god look how great i am i know exactly what sort of punishment this misdemeanor of law demands and i should be the judge jury and executioner overbearing you know what i mean this guy's life and livelihood do, do you um do you in any way blame the internet for this type of uh, like for how badly discourse has fallen or like for how low we've gotten with our reactions to stuff like do you think that it's the constant access to information that just we don't even have to think anymore we're just like it's like a black mirror episode or something we're just hey yeah i think it's biphasic i think it's not only like just the uh, abundance of information but it's also the almost instantaneous validation by people who think the same as you yeah, yeah. Like, I could go into New York Times and, like, literally after any article, I could make a derogatory comment about Donald Trump and I'd get so much validation about it, regardless. Obviously, kind of 
the more pithy and relevant my critique was, the more uh, validation I'd get. But I'd still know that no one is going to criticize me criticizing Trump on a New York Times article, if you know what I mean. It's almost a safe space for that sort of bleeding heart liberalism. I saw this. Um, uh, I I like the website cracked dot com on Facebook, and they mm. they do this thing called a photoplasty, where it's like twelve or between twelve and thirty photos, where they, they'll pick a topic like uh, things that uh, plot holes in movies that we never saw before, and and people put in like funny suggestions or whatever. And anyway, they had one where they had one really recently. I I don't remember what the topic was, but it was something to do with um, things that need. To, uh, sorry, it was at the start of the year, and it was things we hope we don't see in two thousand and seventeen, right? Yeah. And um, it was just like shit stuff that happened in two thousand and sixteen, and people like overblowing it. Um, yeah. And one of the in the thumbnail on Facebook, you know how you link an article on Facebook and a little thumbnail appears. Yeah. So the thumbnail had the face of a guy with a beard, and some guy like misread, or no, sorry, some guy saw the photo, saw the headline, things that are things we hope don't come back in 2017. Saw a picture of a guy with a beard, and he commented saying, "Oh." uh, why are people so offended by beards? It's not a threat to your masculinity. It's just a beard. There's nothing wrong with having one. Why are you all so jealous? <laughs> right? So I saw his comment and I was like, what the fuck is this? So I clicked on the thing, looked at the photoplasty. Um, the thing was a guy with a beard and uh, he was holding a phone while driving or something like that. And, and the thing was, we hope texting with driving goes away. Um, and the guy happens to have a beard, which was nothing to do with the actual concept itself. Yeah. Right, and this guy's comment had, like, fucking hundreds of likes and a huge discussion underneath it from other (laughs) bearded guys saying stuff like, yeah, I don't get why people get so offended by the fact that I can grow facial hair better than them. And, like, what I was witnessing there was not people with a legitimate reaction to being pigeonholed or stereotyped or, like, criticized for having facial hair. What I saw instead was a group of people who feel really good about the fact that they can grow beards. Like, they have, like, a superiority complex because they have facial hair. Like, how fucking weird is that? That they had to, like, be so proud of a thing they are, you know, genetically capable of doing through no ability of their own. Exactly. That they feel the need, like, just... (laughs) <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, I know. They they invented some. They invented an issue. They invented an enemy about... for yeah. a thing that they do. Like what the fuck? Yeah. That's like me being so proud of the fact that I have eyeballs in my head. That's like exactly. I... Or your height. Imagine being proud of your height. Yeah, exactly. Or your eye color. Oh, I'm sorry that I'm an average height for a male my age. <laughs> like, <laughs> fuck off! Like what yeah. the hell? Like. Jesus, I, that kind of uh, lazy outrage mixed with inability to read the fucking full article. Yeah. That gets me, man. Like. Yeah. No, it's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, it's just that. That is definitely got to be some kind of modern phenomenon. Although I'm sure, yeah, headlines in the past. I mean, look at the sun, and how. Yeah. I'll never forget the um, the day that uh, Cardinal Ratzinger became the Pope. He became Pope Benedict, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, so when he took over, some absolute genius publicist from the Sun called up Charlotte Church and was like, "What do you think of the new Pope?" Because <laughs> obviously 
we all want to know what Charlotte Church thinks. Oh, yeah. So um, she was like, oh, I don't know. I'm not really keen about the whole fact that he was in the Hitler Youth or whatever. And so the son ran the headline, Church not keen on new pope. How fucking clever is that? Like, yeah, it's genius. In, in the Catholic country of Ireland, especially, you're talking like what? How, when did uh, Natzinger come? <laughs> Ratzinger <laughs> did not do that on purpose either. <laughs> that was amazing. I never uh, even thought of that. He came in like 2005, 2006. Like, yeah, so over 10 years ago, that headline for that's genius. Absolute genius. Yeah, that is genius. Um, so what are we concluding here, John? Outrage equals bad? No I outrage equals good? Outrage equals an underappreciation of rational thinking. And, like, the more outraged you get, the less understanding you are of the fact that issues are complex beyond knee-jerk reactions to the subject. Exactly. Right? Like, you, you, you can't keep having these proxy wars you can't dedicate all of your energy to the pepsi ad and call yourself yeah. an activist like, exactly but people feel like they can and i think that's what sort of propagates and promulgates these things yeah it's it's i like i wonder if i i, I feel like all of the people who bought the marshall mathers lp in response to the outrageous campaign against that album I feel like all those rebellious teenagers who bought that album and were like, wow, why are people so fucking offended? It's just music. I feel like all of those people are now the ones that are offended at all of the stuff. Yeah. And it's like this weird cycle. Because it was Tipper Gore, Al Gore's wife, who like led some kind of parental advisory sticker campaign against uh, the Eminem show. Or no, it was mm. the Marshall Mathers LP actually. Um, but Eminem was like the subject of all of this kind of, and like that was the left doing that. Yeah. Like that wasn't. I mean, I'm sure the right definitely did not like Eminem and still doesn't. Um, but like, isn't that weird? Like that. Like I've always thought of the left as, say, Rage Against the Machine. But in fact, it doesn't really seem like the left is that way. It's. Well, I think the left has changed in the last, like, five or less years. Yeah. Yeah. I think, so I think there has been a sort of uh, evolution that's... I, I don't really know. I don't think we'll be able to see the wood for the trees and like uh, until a few kind of years or maybe even decades have passed as to what was the context and the, the driving factor behind that. Mm. Yeah, I agree. But it's really interesting that like we're in the, the midst of it at the moment. Like people like Dave Rubin, who like for all intents and purposes is a left winger, doesn't align himself with that anymore and for good reason. That's because he's gay. <laughs> I have no idea why I said that. Is he gay, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's married to a man. So I assume so. <laughs> but couldn't that be a woman who identifies as a man? I mean, it's possible. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think there should be like a new Olympic sport, um, mental gymnastics, that these SJWs seem capable of performing. It's, it's quite remarkable. I don't... I should like kind of maybe mark a little bit more of my territory and say that like for all intents and purposes I basically am an SJW I'm sure a lot of people are probably scratching their heads wondering why I'm saying so many anti-SJW things um I do fundamentally believe in a lot of the I guess, I guess the ethos of the social justice warrior but that's the thing that okay so this is why you're not an SJW so 
while you believe in the ends of what SJW stands for in yes. some ways, you don't believe in the means that they espouse to derive those ends. Exactly. And I don't, th- I don't think you can disentangle the means and the ends when you're discussing SJW, whereas someone like you, who holds kind of very sort of egalitarian viewpoints, which is extraordinarily admirable and fair, yours are kind of more end goals than I, you would never say punch a Nazi or let's smash through a Starbucks window to show that we are anti-fascist. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I could never get behind that kind of thing. But exactly. It, I also find it really hard to just categorize a broad group of people as SJWs, right? Because let's face it, it's a very loose term. Like, sure, it's, it's sure. Like, it's, it's another reason why I hate the way we have to frame everything as left and right. Because yeah, what we'll yeah. say is like, ah, people on the right, you know, they want to hang the gays and they want to kick all the Mexicans out. And it's like, that's not true. Like, you've heard At one, all, yeah. you've heard one senator, like, or you've heard like one disgraced former senator who said yeah, something racist. Yeah. And then you go, that's everyone on the right. And yeah. a lot of, it, it kind of goes back to the thing I was saying earlier about people kind of viewing Tommy Robinson as this kind of anti-hero, which like he's not. It's it's, it's this. It, it's kind of a weird. Um, I'm raising my hand in the air and squeezing it as if I'm trying to find the pulse of what I'm trying to say, but it's just <laughs> it's just weird. Like that wasn't a Nazi salute, was it? <laughs> no. <laughs> it, it was actually more like the thing that stereotypical gay guys in movies do, where they move their hand out and then, you know, move it down as if swiping through air. Or jacking someone off. Or jacking someone off, yeah, that too. Mm. That's another way of looking at it. Um, yeah. So should we try to bring this back on topic? Yes. There was, so there's one thing I wanted to talk about that is... I don't know how you'll be able to relate this to the topic at all. Uh, <laughs> but it is the it is the elevator game. Have you ever heard of it? No, I don't think so. Right, it's an urban legend that comes from Korea. And it is a game through which people attempt to access another world, uh, a portal into another realm. And they get into a lift. Um, It has to be a building that has more than 10 floors. Mm -hmm. And they have a sequence. I don't know, I guess different uh, sections of... uh, of uh, subcultures have different sequences like for example in ireland we used to play tig but in or sorry in in, in tipperary we used to play tig but in dublin you played tag you know that kind of no way tipperary played tig tig yeah that's ridiculous that's Wait, ridiculous you're ridiculous <laughs> no i'm ridiculous oh uh, yeah that's true um but so so the sequence, for example, is someone gets into a lift and they have to go to floors one, five, six, four, nine, mm. eleven, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Um. And basically, if 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 you get it correct and the 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 sequence is right, um, then you like you have succeeded in the ritual, and instead of going to the first floor, you will go to the tenth floor. And when you get off the lift at the 10th floor, you will be in an alternative reality where nobody exists except for you. Um, Also, in order to participate in this game, you have to be alone in the lift. Nobody can get in. And if people get in, you are supposed to actively not trust them. Okay. Yeah. Um, And then the way you get back is the same sequence again in that lift. That's sort of freaky, isn't it? Yeah, very freaky. 
Um, yeah. The reason I brought it up is because it's a cultural thing. It's a, yeah. it's a Korean-specific thing. And that really fascinates me. Like, I, I am so um, consumed by ideas of, like, parallel universes and, and, like, simulated reality and, like, all sorts of... Like, I would love for there to be a portal to another realm. Like, that's the... Like, that's my jam right there. Did you listen to Lawrence Krauss and Joe Rogan's podcast? No, I didn't. It's amazing. You should, you should listen to it. He basically gives a great argument for multiverse theory. Joe Rogan does? No, Lawrence Krauss. Ah, because Joe Rogan... I heard Joe Rogan say something one time that was like, um, what if life is like a radio dial and, like, we're, like, on... We're on, like like 198 FM but if you turned over to like AW or whatever the other thing is and, and like you dial it down seven notches maybe there's a whole nother portal there of people and like he, he has so many like incredible uh, you know sci-fi theories that yeah I just I absolutely love that shit I cannot get enough of it okay so the problem oh no sorry not problem but with the radio thing all those, they obviously all exist at the same time, yeah? That's his point, is that you just kind of tune it down a bit. Yeah. Or tune it up. What is the radio in that uh, in that metaphor? I don't know. Yeah, okay, okay. I, th- I think, I, I don't think he's actually talking about a radio as much as he's talking about, like, airwaves and frequencies and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, the fact that they exist simultaneously exactly yeah 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 interesting um, and they they might be easily accessible but not true means that we're capable of of sort of knowing yeah but i um La- sorry go on i was gonna say lawrence kraus gives he's like a really really eminent uh, astrophysicist and he's written loads of amazing books he'd be well worth a read uh he kind of talks about the fact that like multiverse theory it's not as if sort of they exist in other dimensions multiple universes could actually exist in this dimension this like where we live and the way he was talking about it was was that if something moves through space or space behaves in such a way that something is moving faster than the speed of light so if space so space can do whatever it wants right matter can't move faster than the speed of light but space can so if you think of a person on a surfboard, yeah, they can actually be moving further away from the beach while still swimming towards it if there was a wave bringing them out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that if uh, a universe is moving faster than the speed of light away from us, we will actually never receive light from that universe. We'll never actually encounter it. Yeah. It's it's incredible, like. It yeah, it reminds me of the Fermi paradox episode that we did. Just, yeah, yeah. Like, so like, there could be multiple universes right now in our dimension that we will never experience because they are moving so fast away from us in space. I don't understand how anyone gets anything done in the world. Like, I know. Why yeah. are you not all thinking about this shit all the time? Like, why is this <laughs> not the fucking? Do you know what really annoys me is when. Uh, like, you know, they, they found those, like, nine exoplanets recently, and people are like, oh, what's the point? Who cares? Why are we spending money on it? Let's just build hospitals. It's like, oh, would you fuck off? Like, these, like fucking when Felix Baumgartner jumped from the edge of space, people were like, why didn't Red Bull just build a hospital? It's like, fuck off. Not everyone wants to live next to a fucking hospital. Like, sorry for trying to fucking uncover the secrets of the universe, you fucking yeah. boring motherfuckers. Like, Christ almighty. Um, 
Yeah. Anyway, that's uh, completely off topic, but um, I like the way different cultures have different urban legends and stuff like that. Totally, um, yeah. And, and like urban Slenderman. legends. Yeah, Slenderman, right? So that's a fucking great example. That thing with those two little kids that murdered. Oh, that that's other... freaky. Uh, no, they didn't murder. Did they not? She survived. She survived. Really? Yeah, it's horrific. She was stabbed like 70 times or yeah. something. Yeah. Uh, to give context to the listeners, we obviously offhand do not know um, everything about this uh, case, but it, it, how old were the girls, do you know? I, I... They, they were like 10. Yeah, like yeah. In and around. Yeah. 9 and 10, I think. Um, it yeah. was two girls, one 9, one 10, we'll say, for, uh, you know, I'm. Um, not and it was in, and it was in the U.S. Yeah, it was in America, and uh, they they persuaded a classmate to hang around with them, and they actually, from what I understand, they did this over a course of several weeks. Like they made her believe that she was their friend, and their ultimate mm. end game was to end her. Like they, yeah. uh, one of them stole a knife from the kitchen in their house, and they went out into the middle of some like field or like you know whatever, um, and they just stabbed this girl because the slender man told them to. Yeah. Um, Slenderman. Horrific. For could you even give context to what Slenderman is? Because I genuinely don't know. Uh, like I know it's a game called Slenderman, and he's a sort of a. Slenderman. I think Slenderman actually begun as a character for which people could sort of come together and create their own horror stories, all of which would contain the protagonist or the main sort of villain, Slenderman. He's a very specific-looking person, yeah. uh, sort of all black, kind of very sort of long. Uh, lithe limbs and like he's just very nefarious and people would come together on particular websites and write stories and then they'd be rated by their peers and he became this sort of like thing in and of itself really like it kind of took on its own identity and that and pe- people would share stories of it and it's it sort of like just evolved from that like it almost became a real thing in and of itself that's crazy yeah. And that's uh, kind of, that's a, like, that is in some way vaguely associated with our topic, right? Yeah, like it's sort of like a mass hysteria. Like, yeah, for, like, pre-teens or whatever age group, like, would be kind of reading up on it. Like, they'd literally be scared, like, frightened of this, like, invented character. Like, and not only invented character, but invented by their own generation. I, I I think like urban legends and uh, like moral panic and mass hysteria and, and stuff mass hysteria to a lesser degree because I think that's more of a, a psychological phenomenon than these other things or, or rather mm. it's more definable it's more noticeable um, but these things are essentially people coming together and wishing something into existence yeah and like that really fascinates me there's something about people wanting to make their fears a reality so exactly face yeah. it. i don't know if you have any i i i kind of you and i are on a very similar plane of intellect right like i think we both have very similar insights into people's uh mental capacity or, or like their sure you know what i mean um mm. so like i have noticed a lot of things when I was like when I was growing up. I'd noticed lots of stuff that I wasn't quite able to put my finger on, like ways that my friends would act that were similar. And so one of the things I I can't really quite explain what I'm trying to say, but one of the things I noticed about my friends would be that say me and one of my friends would witness something that was weird. Like I remember one time me and my friend um 
we climbed over this when I lived in Tipperary. I lived in an estate where there was a, a football pitch, and then there was um, a big wall. And across the wall was train tracks. And we used to go over this wall all the time and walk down the train tracks. And we we're constantly... Yeah. And Stephen King wrote a story about us. Um, but yeah, so like we were constantly just looking for like... I, I, like every single time we walked down the train tracks, we were hoping that one of the adventures we saw on TV would come to life in, in that mm. moment. And I noticed stuff like I would see something weird. Um, for example, I used to see sticks coming out of the like a swamp, and I used to call it a stick dragon because it mm. looked kind of like a dragon or whatever. Mm. And like I'd see that and be like, "Oh, look, that's a stick dragon." And my friend would be like, "Oh, holy shit!" And then like my friend would tell other people that we saw an actual dragon, and like <laughs> I'd go along with it. But I was in my head, I was like, "Well, that's that's not what happened." At yeah, all. yeah. And yeah. it becomes a thing, and it's like my friend just wished that thing into existence, even though I was there, man. I know that you didn't see a dragon, but sure, okay, yeah, we saw a dragon because you want to see other people's reactions when they think that it's real. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So it's like I understand that. I don't understand that mentality at all. I have seen that mentality and I know that it exists, but I don't get why people do it. And they do it with everything. Like anything that can become, I don't know. Like if a kid, if a kid ever kills a person, I feel like their police investigators are like, did Grand Theft Auto make you do it? And, and like until yeah. the kid says yes, you know what I mean? Like people just want to confirm their yeah. their biases and their fears and their biases that are formed as a result of their fears and people just want it to be true so they wish it into existence it's the weirdest thing totally yeah like has that been studied <laughs> is that a thing like, like i, I th um with, with regards to things like depression and stuff there is sort of a uh a predilection to engage in behaviors that don't try and pull them out of that say depressive funk yeah like yeah people like to be reminded and to have their opinions and beliefs in the world reinforced. And that doesn't stop in, at like political ends or say optimistic ends, but oftentimes pessimistic ends where we want to, if we're feeling bad in and of our, in ourselves and, and about the world, we want that to be reinforced. So we're going to look for things that make us feel bad as well. It's a strange kind of, it's, it seems counterintuitive and ironic, but yeah, that's been studied. There's a, there's a great line in the movie Closer. Um, where a, a doc, uh, someone's like, a guy says everyone wants to be happy, and another guy replies with, depressives don't. They want to be miserable. They want everything that they do to be confirmation of the fact that they're depressed and that they exactly. live in a miserable world and stuff. And it's the truest thing. Like, yeah. I, I also read, there's a great article about depression that uh, a writer called John Cheese wrote on Cracked, and he said, people treat depression like their firstborn child. And it's the truest thing. People yeah. protect their depression. And I think it was as well, it was extraordinarily well described in that Rolling Stone song, Paint It Black. I see a red door and I want to paint it black. Yeah. You know what I mean? We, we want the world to conform to how we feel inwardly. Um, and if we have sort of that like juxtaposition of the, the good and the, the bad or the happy and the sad, and we're the ones feeling sad, we want to bring the world down to our level. And yeah. it's and it's it's such a drive and, and such a kind of inexorable force. 
Yeah, there's, you'll never argue with a depressed person that the world isn't that bad. You'll never win that argument. Yeah, or their life isn't that shite. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. That's actually, that's actually really interesting, and that sort of has me looking at it in a new light, that it's not necessarily that people want their fears and their biases to be confirmed. It's that people want their worldview. Yes, exactly. Their entire way that they perceive the world, everyone yeah. is looking for that to be validated. And that kind of goes back to something we talked about before called cognitive dissonance, where if we have two opposing cognitions, we're going to change the one that's easier to change. And if your whole worldview is pointing one direction and someone throws a pebble into that ocean of opinion, then the easiest thing to get rid of isn't the ocean, it's the pebble. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It's 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 a really, really strange phenomenon. Like, that's... yeah. I, it's I very counterproductive, like, you know what I mean? For people who do feel that way, it's extraordinarily difficult to overcome. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say it's under... People don't really appreciate that. People don't really, like, understand that the world is basically not... Like, the way you see the world is not how the world is. Like At all. Yeah. Like, you, you uh, are I, not I, I, capable yeah. of, of seeing objective reality. That's... I don't even think that, for all intents and purposes, we can talk about objective reality as something that exists i don't even think we're capable of doing that i think that from the beginning of scientific endeavor all science has ever proven is that our perceptions are consistent and predictable i don't think it's ever shown that science can actually uh depict or portray anything as it really is i think that examples of mass hysteria that are really unexplainable like i'm not about to say a true serious thing here but mm. I am about to say a thing that I really wish was true. Um, you, you know, uh, like the, one example of mass hysteria is people, there was like a boarding school where people just would not stop laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing. It was in um, Tanzania. Okay. And it was like 160 uh, kids in a school. Um, mm-hmm. And like they, they, they just wouldn't stop laughing. And none of the teachers fell under this spell of mass hysteria. Um, it, it, I mean, this sounds like nothing. People laugh in school all the time. This closed the school down. It lasted over, like, 16 days, I think. Wow. Um, but, yeah, like, they had to they had to close the school down. And uh, it, It's no laughing matter. Oh. <laughs> they reopened the school, and the outbreak of laughter happened again. And then uh, it spread to nearby schools by the end of that month and other schools got closed. So, um, like, that's a, that's an example of mass hysteria where people just, they wouldn't stop laughing. What about that does not imply that the controllers of the simulation that we exist in were simply just installing uh, firmware, like updating the system, a new patch... And it was a glitch, caused people to laugh, and then they fixed it, because we live in a simulation. Mm. I do think that the the greatest argument against a simulation is kind of strange in that it's a very personal argument. And it's the fact that right now, when you're presumably in your room, you're conscious of what's around you. How dare and you that... imply that I'm in my room <laughs> at this point. And that conscious perception, I don't think, can be created in a software as in if someone is a, 
cognizant or uh, perceptive of software, it requires, it presupposes there's a consciousness that is aware of it. It can't create consciousness out of itself. It requires something to be conscious of it. So the fact that you are conscious of anything right now, I think, presupposes something that exists over and above any uh, software program. Yeah, but that's only a conclusion you've come to by knowledge of what we've discovered so far, right? Like, a lot of really uh, intelligent people believe that at some point in the future we will be able to create an AI that is essentially conscious. That's no, uh, uh, People think that, sure, but I think what they mean, mean is is that it's conscious a la the Turing experiment uh, criteria. Yeah, I get but but like a lot of a lot of really intelligent people also think that we probably exist in a simulation, right? Like I think they do, but I, I honestly think that they're probably computer scientists for the most part, and they're largely ignorant as to what the philosophical implications of that are regarding yeah. consciousness. But there's also a th- like you're a little guy that runs around on Age of Empires or like fucking Lemmings or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know that this is not this argument doesn't hold up at all. This is something an idiot <laughs> would say, but you don't know what's going on in the Lemmings head. <laughs> like Well, see, you you can though. Like that that's the great thing about that is if you looked at all the script, for instance, you'd be able to prove there's nothing going on in his head. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, the fact that we don't really, we don't understand consciousness. But that's the thing, I I don't think that we have to understand it to be able to appreciate it exists. For instance, if you go back to, say, Descartes, he was able to prove his existence just because of the fact he thinks. And in the same way, just because you're aware that you're conscious, it doesn't mean you have to understand it. Mm. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And then you could take like an Irish writer, Kevin Myers' argument, you don't need to be a carpenter to know that a chair is broken. Well, how do you explain the movie The Matrix when he goes... <laughs> <laughs> Science your way around that! I know, right? Um, yeah, I, I just, I want it to be true so hard. Like, No, I know, and I can see why. Like, it's, it's extraordinarily interesting because it opens up a whole realm of possibilities as to like, oh my god, I could change my life in a heartbeat. Yeah. You know what I mean? I know. But I just don't think it stands up to philosophical scrutiny. Yeah. Well, um, I, I don't know if I can frame this properly, right? But mm-hmm. if I were to find out that the world was a simulation, I feel like that would give me the motivation I need to do all of the things that I know I'm capable of doing, right? Like, the two of us are people who are capable of achieving, like, essentially, excuse me, essentially limitless potential in a vast number of either academic or like you know uh, like financial whatever kind of field we wanted to go and work in or whatever um and i think the knowledge that the universe is a simulation would make me like ah it's a game i'll just play the game and then i can get really good and do all the stuff because i am a gamer and that's like my mentality Mm. well why don't i fucking do that anyway it's really funny to me that humans like, we know what makes a person happy, we know what makes a person sad, but we succumb to so many vices unnecessarily. Like, we know that caffeine in the long run is not really good for us. Like, 
and yet we drink a coffee thinking to ourselves, well, there'll come a time where I'll just be drinking water all day and I'll be super refreshed all the time. Like, <laughs> we know what foods to eat to strengthen our brain power and, like, like we know how to be the ultimate, healthiest, clear-minded person, but we don't strive to actually achieve those things. And it's just mm. it's really fascinating to me that humans are not motivated by happiness. Like, happiness... As a happiness as a concept is something that we don't even understand, but it's not something that we actually strive for. And it's crazy yeah. because we actually have such a simplistic view of happiness. Like we think happiness is a is a thing we're gonna actually achieve one day where everything is fine forever. Yeah. And we know how to get there, but we don't do any of the things required to do it. Yeah. So fucking explain that with science. <laughs> no, I like really that's a thing that just puzzles me so much. And yet I feel like the knowledge of this being a simulation would be like, "All ah, right, well, I'll just do all the things then if it's just a simulation." But why can't you live your life presuming it's a simulation? Because I'm too much of a cynic. You know what I mean? But... For the same reason that I can read The Secret or The Power of Now or any other self-help book that you can show at me that people have used to motivate them into achieving all of their goals. And it just won't work because I'm too much of a cynic. Because at the end of the day, what's the fucking point? We're but never you're gonna... not. Look, well, then I'm going to turn your whole argument on its head and say you're not looking for a reason to succeed. You're looking for a reason to fail. And that no matter what evidence somebody gave you proving that it was a simulation you were living in, you were like, yeah, but that person could be lying to me and it would just be a forever... You know what I mean? Yeah, a, fair. A, a, a never-ending sort of denial of the state of affairs. So my retort to that is, just presume it is whatever you want it to be to enable you to fulfill anything you want. Because for all intents and purposes, nothing changes. All that changes is your mindset, and that's all that needs to change. I just... Ultimately, I, I know full well that like i'll never find out what my purpose in the universe is and that's weird to me like i like i understand why we exist and how we got here and all well look mm -hmm. i wouldn't say i understand it but i, I get that you know the big bang mm -hmm. happened life formed some cells split into two we evolved into humans and stuff like that i just mm -hmm. i don't know i i feel like society and and like all like pop culture like all the movies i watched as a kid and all they all kind of told me or convinced me that i had some sort of role to play or at least that i should have some sort of understanding of how things work and it's just weird that like you'll never get that as such like yeah i, I think so that's the the argument from teleology teleology is the uh branch of philosophy that deals with function purpose uh kind of yeah, like the, the function of something, like what's the point of this? Like when we look at a watch, oh, the function is to, to, to tell the time and that. And, and then we look back into ourselves. What's my function? What's my purpose? What's my destiny? I think that unfortunately we seem to we seem to have this sort of mental bias to presume everything has a purpose and that almost the universe owes us something in terms of enlightening us in relation to that. Yeah. And yeah. I think that that's just like one of those things, possibly like God and that, which is sort of a supernatural, I don't know, uh, like a supernatural appendix, you know, something that we have from evolutional ancestry, evolutionary ancestry that we don't, that there's no actual necessary uh, current reason for. Yeah. It's annoying. <laughs> it, it, it is annoying. Yeah, I completely agree.
Um, but but I think on the flip side of that, again, to turn that on its head, if you don't, like, if you had a purpose, would you be able to reject that? Probably not. So if, for instance, you don't have a purpose, if you don't have a destiny, why can't you just give yourself one? I don't know. It's done at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but that's my point. Exactly. You're not looking for a reason to succeed. You're looking for a reason to fail. Yeah, I think you're right. It's like but I think the... everyone does that. I don't. I'm not picking on you. I think everyone does. Nah, fuck you, man. You had your say. No, <laughs> you. Uh, yeah. No, you're right. Totally. I'm doing that exact thing that I where it's like depressives don't they want to see the world like that's exactly yeah i want to just see it yeah it's but then i like when i think about that and i think about okay the vast vast majority of people just look for reasons to kind of combat their whatever they want to do for their kind of purpose like like looking at someone like conor mcgregor just makes me think of like the power of thought and what actually it can endow you with you know what i mean yeah i i think like there are so many people that like their self-belief is so strong that it carries them into the exact perception of themselves that they believe they could be. Like I read a quote from him recently. It was like, I just got thinking to myself, when I go to bed at night, I can see myself as a winner or a loser. So why not just see myself as a winner? You know what (laughs) I mean? Something so simple. It's like, I I really love, um, I know you're not really a fan, but Kanye West and just the way that Mm. he is like, I am the greatest. And like, then he just becomes the actual greatest like producer of like of like beats and then like he starts producing like the greatest hip hop albums of his generation and like he like he's always been on the pulse of of what's going on in in his genre and stuff yeah and it's the weight of his words when he says these outrageous things it's it's that he not only does he believe it but like he proves it when he yeah, releases yeah. groundbreaking albums and stuff. It's like yeah, it's pretty amazing. It is yeah, like even I don't know, like lots of other sports people like Zlatan Ibrahimovic or people like that, where they're just like I'm the greatest, and then they just become the greatest. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's that's some kind of brain hack to be able to do that. It sort of is, yeah, and it. it... I'd hope it's just something. I hope it's not necessarily a brain hack. Obviously, like that sounds extraordinarily uh, dangerous. No, uh, like I'd hope it would be something like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's because I, because I, I, like I think that makes sense. It makes scientific sense, and that it's. I, I do think it's possible for anybody to sort of convince not only themselves over time, like fake it till you make it, but yeah, convince well, others. We do associate negativity with self-fulfilling prophecy, so why not with positivity too? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That's a great note to uh, end the show on, I think. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we stuck to the topic. But I At don't all. think that matters. <laughs> <laughs> no, me neither. I think that was really good. Stars fall silent from your eyes. All the sights that I have seen. I can't believe that I believed. I wish that you could see. There's a new planet in the solar system. Now
talk of time, talk is fine. But I don't want to stay around. Why can't we pantomime? Just close our eyes and sleep sweet dreams. Me and you with wings on our feet. So there you have it, folks. It turns out it was mass hysteria all along. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. If you did, as I mentioned in the intro, it would be really, really good to uh, hear your feedback. So maybe, like, I know that it's a podcast. It's an audio medium. You don't really look at it. Therefore, you don't really get much incentive to comment. But next time you're online, check out the subreddit. Go to reddit.com slash or slash midnight hour and... Uh, there will be a tread for this episode, hopefully. And if there is, just uh, let me know what you think, especially of the format. That's kind of the main thing that I was looking for because um, while we did have an overall idea, we kind of jumped around and, and uh, had a lot of room to breathe, I guess, in this episode. And that is what made it special to me. And I hope that you guys enjoyed it. And uh, I get very cheesy in the outros. And that's kind of like a half on purpose, half honest thing. But uh, for real though, I, I like doing this podcast. And I hope that you guys also like that. Anyway, I've been El De Niro. Fuck this. By the way, the song that closed the episode was The Great Beyond by R.E.M. Because I think that at the end I got very confused as to what I'm supposed to be doing in the universe. And it was as if... I was the one searching for answers from the great beyond. But also, it's my favorite R.E.M. song. I've never been a huge fan of theirs. Like, they have a massive following of people who argue over which of their albums are better and stuff. But I could just never get into any of their albums. I don't know why. There's something, like, weird about them or something that kind of lets me down a little bit. But the great beyond is just a fantastic song. And I enjoy any song in the world that has a vague spacey message anything that references the universe or the solar system or whatever like that's my jam you can be guaranteed that i know any song that references stuff like that i mean not any song i'm not a machine but um yeah i uh, i think it was a fitting song to end the episode with and therefore i i did it and uh, i don't need to explain myself to you you're not even real and this is all a simulation i've been el de niro Fuck this.